Shavuot is here, and there's a bunch of different laws that we need to know. That's in the beginning of the lecture. After that, there's something much more critical for the rest of the year. In fact, it's based on a verse from King Solomon that's going to determine whether we're going to heaven or the other place. In fact, it's so critical, it's one of the foundations of the Torah, and most people don't even know it's an obligation. After that, there's a bunch of different questions from people around the world. Questions that touch on sensitive subjects, such as, why are there so many Jewish people in Hollywood? What about black people? What about green people? What about burgundy people? All types of people. Is there discrimination? Is there assimilation? What about the converts? What about their communities that reject converts? What about a lot of stuff? Watch it, learn, enjoy, share, donate when you can, but most importantly, remember, be holy. We're back here on our Wednesday night program where uh, after some Divrei Torah, you guys, Bezat Hashem, will start asking some questions and Bezat Hashem HaKadosh Baruch Hu will give us the answers. Tonight's shiur is going to be for the Refuah Shlema for Rabbanit Sarah Bat Anat, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sarah, Vimori David Ben Esriya, Imimorati Doris Bat Jora. Uh, and also all of our uh, dear friends that continue to support the organization, continue to uh, uh, help us in all the uh, wonderful things that the organization is doing. And Baruch Hashem, we did some calculations over the last uh, couple of days of the uh, amount of uh, help and uh, resources we've invested into helping Am Yisrael and the world uh, over the last several years. And Baruch Hashem, the numbers are astounding, all thanks to Kadosh Baruch Hu and, of course, all of his messengers that choose to be his messengers, which are you people and uh, the rest of the people that have been watching our lectures throughout the years. Uh, so uh, tonight's show uh, is uh, going to be a little different, uh, where uh, we're going to certainly speak about Torah, but this week we have Shavuot. We have the holiday of Shavuot uh, in, the, uh, in Israel. Shavuot is one day, and therefore they still have, uh, they have the holiday starting tomorrow night, and then the holiday ends on uh, Friday night before Shabbat starts, and then they have Shabbat, so therefore they still have uh, the weekly pa- uh, Torah portion, the weekly parasha, parashat Naso. Uh, but here in the exile, uh, we uh, always have two-day Yom Tov, two-day holiday, and therefore uh, the holiday goes into Shabbat. We have the holiday starts on Thursday night at the same time, but it's also Friday night and, and ends uh, at the end of Shabbat. So Shabbat is both Shabbat and Yom Tov this year. So therefore, we don't have Parashat Naso. But uh, even with that, in, uh, there's a, uh, still a lot to learn from uh, the weekly Parashat that is certainly relevant to everything that we're doing, Baruch Hashem. Uh, and of course, a lot of other aspects of the Torah. But uh, one of the things I wanted to cover briefly is some of the uh, simple laws. Of course, this is something that everybody should have been studying at least for the last month of what to do on Yom Tov. Anyone that knows how to keep Shabbat more or less knows how to keep Yom Tov. But just to give you guys a, uh, a rundown of some of the things you have to take into account uh, in preparation of uh, Shavuot. Shavuot, first and foremost, is something that Jews have been preparing for for the last seven weeks. This is why we count the Omer. It's a biblical mitzvah to count the Omer each day from the second day of Pesach. Uh, We were counting the Omer each night, uh, counting down, in essence, getting closer and closer to Shavuot, which is the time where Am Yisrael received the Torah at Mount Sinai and made the ultimate commitment 
to be a holy nation, a nation of priests, a nation that is uh, holier than uh, all of the other nations, not because they're simply born that way, but rather because of what they do once they're born. Uh, and uh, that is obviously fulfilling the Torah. But the question is really that we're going to try to answer today is uh, what does it really mean, this Shavuot commitment that we made 3,334 years ago? Is it still something that I have to take into account today? Is it really all about the customs, such as eating cheesecake and all types of dairy uh, food on Shavuot? Is it all about studying all night? Or is there more to Shavuot than perhaps uh, uh, some of us uh, really uh, have thought about? Now, some of the basic uh, laws everybody has to uh, take into account and also some of the customs uh, are uh, some of the things I'm going to mention now. It's about 15 or so different things that uh, a person needs to understand. First and foremost, uh, Yom Tov, which is Shavuot, is one of the uh, Yom Tovs, is the equivalent of Shabbat, meaning that you're not allowed to uh, drive, you're not allowed to uh, you know, use technology in a sense that turning it on and off if your lights are on or they're off uh, before uh, the Yom Tov begins, you leave it that way, unless you have a timer. But uh, in general, the uh, laws of Shabbat are more or less the same for Yom Tov, with an exception when it comes to food. Uh, when it comes to food preparation, if you have an existing fire, uh, which you light before, uh, before the Yom Tov, you can use that fire to light another fire in order to cook uh, for, uh, for the holiday itself. And anyone that uh, also wants to cook uh, for uh, Shabbat during Yom Tov will have to do what's called Iruv Tavshilin. Now, Iruv Tavshilin is in essence taking pot, taking a, a, a bread that's uh, about 54, 54 grams along with a cooked food uh, that's 27 grams, most commonly used as a hard-boiled egg. And then you take them and you uh, make the blessing of the Ruv Tavshilin, which you will find at the beginning of your uh, uh, Yom Tov Sidul. Uh, the Machzor of the Yom Tov usually has this in the beginning of, the, uh, uh, of it, where you're making a blessing on these two pieces of food. You don't eat them, you simply store them in the fridge, and you leave them throughout the holiday, and you're, you usually eat them uh, on the, uh, in this particular case, you would eat them on Shabbat. You don't have to eat them, but it's customary to eat them. That's Iruv Tavshilin. This Iruv Tavshilin will allow you to cook on Yom Tov with an existing fire that you already have. Uh, if you have a, uh, um, some type of uh, uh, gas uh, uh, to, uh, to turn it on. But again, you have to figure out there, there has to be a way for you to shut it off because since it's Yom Tov, you're not allowed to shut off the fire uh, directly. You can't just turn off the knob and turn off the fire. So there are different... Uh, strategies to, to shut off the fire for those of you that uh, are going to cook on Yom Tov. Some people use uh, boiling water where you pretty much uh, take a uh, pot, fill it up with water and simply heat it up until the uh, water boils over and spills over the, uh, uh, the fire. Once it shuts off the fire, you could turn off the gas. There are other ways uh, that a person can do it depending on their uh, the, the source of fire that they have. Some people have uh, certain magnets that can be used. The point being is, if you know how to do it, do it. If not, prepare all of the food before the holiday, meaning prepare all the food both for Yom Tov and for Shabbat, and simply heat it up on the plata which stays on the whole uh, holiday. 
the other thing is when it comes to mikveh, um, uh, it's a customary for men to go to the mikveh uh, before Yom Tov. It's not an obligation. Uh, certainly, it's a uh, something that's good to do if you have a uh, good mikveh, a kosher mikveh that you can go to. Uh, then uh, you know whether it's the uh, ocean that is uh, private ocean where there's no immodesty there, or there's a mikveh uh, near you that you can go to. Then this is good for men to do. Women, obviously, it's not relevant to them. Women only go to the mikveh at uh, after they are pure. Uh, you know, once their menstrual cycle is completed in accordance to the laws of family purity. Uh, the second thing is in regards to uh, mikveh, if somebody cannot go uh, to the mikveh, Chachamim uh, made a, uh, 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 taught us certain things that uh, we can do. One thing is that a person can, uh, according to the Ben Ishchai, you uh, could uh, sit under running water, like your shower water, uh, with uh, where it's 40 se'ah. So, you know, run it, let the water run on top of you for, uh, I don't know, probably five, ten minutes or so. That would be, in essence, the equivalent of going to the mikveh. Men could also use their uh, private pool as a mikveh. You don't actually have to go to the mikveh that is, uh, you know, in a mikveh itself. You can use a pool for a mikveh. Uh, there's also the netila, the special netila of the Ben Ishchai, uh, which for anyone that knows how to do it, can do it. If you don't know how to do it, then don't worry about it. And please don't ask me because these are not some of the things that uh, I like to teach uh, the public. Uh, there's specific names and all types of Kabbalistic things that are not necessarily for everybody. But point is, if you know how to do it, just like if you know uh, specific laws about tefillin uh, that are uh, not necessarily common knowledge, you can do certain things with them. If you don't, then Bezat Hashem, when you do know, uh, then you'll be able to do them. Uh, next thing is in regards to haircut. Haircut is already permissible since the time of Lagba Omel. But according to the Kabbalists, uh, it's best, uh, the Arizal says that it's best to uh, wait until the eve of Yom Tov, of Shavuot, which means tomorrow, uh, to get a haircut for men. Uh, good to get a haircut, shower, wear uh, brand new clothes if possible, or at the very least your Shabbat clothes. Uh, and, uh, you know, if uh, one shaves, shave, just make sure it's not with a razor. Uh, and also for all of you that are getting uh, haircuts, make sure that when you get a haircut, the sides of your head, the sides of your head are no shorter than a number two. No shorter than number two. Some say, you know, a number one uh, in, is, uh, is, is allowed, but this could be problematic because some uh, uh, of the raises don't have necessarily the same number one, and number one uh, is too short. So to be safe, no shorter on the sides of the head than a number two. For those of you that have uh, lost your hair or lost some of your hair and you shave your head, you should know that you're not allowed, according to Judaism, you're not allowed to bick your entire head where it's completely bald, which includes your sides. This is completely forbidden. It's a Torah prohibition to do it throughout the entire year. So anyone that shaves their head uh, completely or it's, a, uh, uh, um, it's close to zero or number one, uh, you have a very serious problem because simply every second that uh, you have uh, this haircut, uh, you're making a sin. Uh, this is certainly not something that you want to bring into the uh, Shavuot holiday or into your life altogether. Uh, as I said, fire to fire, the best thing to do is to get one of these 48-hour candles uh, and light them before the holiday. Uh, and uh, this candle 
is uh, what you'll use to light other fires, whether it's the barbecue grill or the, uh, uh, the stovetop or other candles for, for Shabbat, uh, which again, the candles for Shabbat, uh, this is, uh, you have to use from existing fire. You have to use existing fire to light the candles of Shabbat, but you also have to, in the exile, you have to light a second uh, day Yom Tov. So what you do is you uh, first, uh, uh, you light, you know, the, uh, uh, you first make the blessing, uh, 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 and then you light. Ashkenazim uh, usually make the, uh, uh, the uh, light the candles, and then, uh, um, and then make the blessing. But in this particular case, both Ashkenazim and Sfaradim are the same, where you actually make the uh, uh, blessing, and then you light the candles. Uh, now, if you're going to light candles that are, have the, uh, uh, the oil uh, uh, and uh, you need to uh, uh, prepare everything before the holiday, prepare everything for the, for the holiday. So if let's say you have a couple of uh, oil, uh, uh, um, what is it called? Uh, little uh, cans of oil, little uh, jars of oil on your uh, candelabra uh, and uh, fill them up uh, with the ptil, uh, with the... Uh, 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 before the uh, holiday, every, everything prepared. Then, obviously, on the first day, uh, first night of Yom Tov, you light one candle for the Yom Tov. Make the uh, that you don't do Shechianu. There's no Sfaradim uh, don't do Shechianu. Then, on the second day, uh, which is Friday night, you have to light the candle for uh, uh, the holiday and for Shabbat. But those should already be ready from before the holiday, meaning that. You lit the candles, you put everything, everything is prepared, and really the only thing you need to do on Friday night is just simply light the candles from an existing uh, fire. So that's that. In regards to uh, the uh, chalot, uh, chala, remember that you have uh, five seudot. Five seudot, that means five meals that require bread. You have the uh, uh, Thursday night after uh, completing the uh, going to shul, praying, if you pray on your own, if you pray in shul, uh, whatever the case may be, after Arvit, you come home and you have a uh, Yom Tov Kiddush. Yom Tov Kiddush is also in the same machzor for the Yom Tov. Uh, it's different, uh, slightly different than uh, the uh, uh, Shabbat uh, uh, Kiddush. It's much shorter. You do that, then you have a meal with, with uh, challah. And of course, whatever you want to eat, whether you want to eat dairy, you want to eat meat, that's up to you, but it has to include challah. For those of you that uh, have challah, but all you eat is just a tiny little uh, bite from the challah and throughout the entire meal because you're too worried about uh, your weight or you're too worried about, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, anything else, uh, unless it's a uh, health issue like a real health issue, you have something like celiac or some type of malabsorption where you cannot eat uh, bread. Uh, if you don't have these conditions, you have to eat much more than a simple bite. You have to eat much more than a sim- simple bite. This is an important part of the mitzvah. The, the motzi that you get uh, from uh, uh, the, uh, you know, you give to yourself or you give to your family or you get from your husband has to be eaten completely uh, as soon as you get it before you talk. You know, sometimes people get a uh, slice of bread as the motzi. Uh, some people get, uh, you know, a bunch of bread and they take a bite and they start talking. This is a mistake. You have to eat the entire motzi and then you can talk as much as you want. Uh, because if you talk while you're eating, you're breaking up 
the uh, uh, the uh, the bracha, the, the whole blessing. It's, you're not fulfilling the blessing the right way. Uh, so once you complete eating that motzi, you're good. Uh, as long as that motzi that you got is sufficient size. But if you're getting a tiny little like baby bread, like you got little like the size of your fingernail, this is not this is not considered anything. This is not considered anything. You have to have a decent size uh, of motzi. Uh, even more so for those of you that have uh, all types of uh, 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 health conditions when it comes to uh, challah, uh, either if it's a health issue, like a serious health issue where you're going to go into pain or you can get an allergy of some kind, then either don't eat it at all, don't eat the motzi at all, or uh, there are recipes for, um, for to make challah that's still considered challah, without the uh the gluten in it uh anyone that needs it can get it for me you can simply send me a text message on whatsapp and uh i can send you the recipe to make challah i don't know if you're going to necessarily have enough time to make it but uh for those of you that want it you can send me a message and we can send it to you either way for future purposes uh next in regards to uh everyone that has a water urn uh where hot water urn uh since we're not allowed to uh heat new water uh, you know, on the uh, uh, holiday, uh, on, on Shabbat. Uh, so people usually have a hot water urn that uh, keeps the water hot throughout all of Shabbat. The same concept with Yom Tov. The only difference between Yom Tov and Shabbat is that since you're allowed to cook on Yom Tov, you are allowed to add more water to an already lit, to already on uh, hot water urn. Uh, you could add water to it. So let's say, for example, on Thursday night, you have a bunch of people over, and then Friday, you have also people over during the uh, Kiddush during the day, uh, and uh, you've take, you know, you've almost completed or you uh, drank most of the hot water. People like tea, coffee, whatever you like, hot drinks that you like. No problem. You can add more uh, water into the hot water urn before Shabbat. This is not allowed on Shabbat, only before Shabbat. You're allowed to do it. Now, as far as the uh, back to the chalas, you have the uh, first uh, kiddush on Thursday night. Uh, then uh, you have uh, the second kiddush uh, on uh, uh, Friday morning after prayer. Uh, there's a kiddush. Uh, if the person stayed up all night, uh, then uh, he should, uh, you know, either have a short kiddush, uh, you know, meal, something small to have with the family, and then go to sleep. Or they could uh, go to the Nets uh, Minyan, pray really uh, early, uh, assuming they stayed up all night, and then get a few hours of sleep. And then when you wake up, I don't know, around 11, 12 o'clock, you could have the Kiddush. That's your second meal. Okay, so that's the second challah. Uh, then you have the third Kiddush on uh, Friday night. That's the typical Shabbat Kiddush. Typical Shabbat Kiddush also will include uh, some words from uh, uh, Yom Tov. When you say Birkat Amazon, you have to still add the uh, extra prayers, extra blessings for Yom Tov. Then on uh, Saturday morning, on Shabbat morning, after prayer, you have the uh, fourth meal with challah again. And then the third meal, the Seudash Lishit, on Friday afternoon, uh, that's when you have the fifth one. So that's five challahs. That you have to have that have to be complete that have to be complete whether you have more than five that's obviously up to you every family uh you know is uh you know bigger and smaller but you have to have at least five complete challahs or five complete bread where it could be uh pita 
but it still needs to be complete. Don't use the one that you already ate from for the Kiddush. So you need to have five. Uh, then after that, in regards to um, uh, uh, Thursday night, uh, it's customary for uh, Jewish men, Jewish men to stay up all night and study Torah. Stay up all night and study Torah, not, not stay up all night and eat bueka, smoke cigarettes and hang out with your friends, but pretend like you're actually religious because you're at shul. No, the key is to make sure that you're there and you're studying Torah. There is a custom for people to uh, uh, read parts of the Zohar. Uh, this is not an obligation like some people make it seem to be. It's not an obligation at all. It's good to purify the neshama, but it's not an obligation. If you know yourself that when you read this, you don't understand anything and therefore you get bored and get tired, don't do it. Read Torah that you like. Read Chumash. Read the uh, Gemara, read Alacha, read Sipur Tzedikim. Point is to do it the whole night as much as possible. You could also delve into different things. Some communities have a seder where they read the parts of the Zohar for the first, let's say, hour and a half or so of the night. This is, of course, after the Kiddush you've done with your family. You ate, you drank, and you go to shul usually around 11 o'clock or so, depending on the community. And then you guys study all night. So usually the first hour, hour and a half, people do the, uh, the, the custom of the Zohar. Then after that, they go. Uh, it's customary to go through uh, each parasha of the Torah, uh, a little bit about each parasha. Some have lectures, some have uh, different shurim. Everybody do whatever is going to keep you entertained, keep you interested, keep you intrigued, and most importantly, keep you awake. Because the, uh, the Arizal said, and uh, this is something that uh, nobody else can really promise such a thing. He said, anyone that stays up all night studying Torah, not just staying up. Anyone that studies all night on Shavuot is promised that is a, uh, he's going to live that year. Meaning he's not going to die that year. But that's, again, studying all night without taking a rest, without uh, falling asleep for 5, 20 minutes or something like that. You have to study the whole night. Again, it's uh, not simple, and that's why it's uh, very common for, uh, for men to take an afternoon uh, rest where you, uh, you know, sometime, I don't know, around the afternoon, 3, uh, 2, 1 o'clock, whatever it is, sleep for a couple of hours so you have more energy to stay up all night. Women, on the other hand, do not uh, 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 go to the synagogue to uh, be part of the learning. This is not for women. Uh, it's in fact some uh, chachamim even frown upon it when women show up to the synagogue uh, to to be part of it. It's not something for women to do. Uh, there are times during the year where it's okay to do it, but this is not one of them. Uh, so women need to be home. You could, uh, uh, of course, if you want to, uh, you know, read at home. You want to. Uh, uh, you know, a pray at home, that's not a problem, but to go to the synagogue and do this is not uh, one of the traditions of Am Yisrael. Uh, next after this is, uh, as I said, the Yeruf Tavshilin, you have to make sure you do it, the, uh, the candles, Tfilat Arvit. Uh, also remember that when you're doing the prayers, every time that you pray from uh, Thursday night, from tomorrow night uh, until uh, uh, Saturday, uh, the, uh, the Mincha prayer, uh, which includes the Mincha prayer in the exile. In, in Israel, it obviously ends on uh, Friday night. But throughout all of the prayers, you have to include the parts of the prayer that are for Yom Tov. 
uh, you also have to the, the you have to make sure to include those in your prayers um, also another thing that uh, at the end of the holiday uh, since this is already at the time to do Birkat Levana, we do Birkat Levana on Motzei Shabbat we do Birkat Levana, the blessing of the new moon uh, lastly in regards to uh, one of the big differences between uh, Shabbat and uh, Yom Tov is that although there are uh, certain permissions uh, for, uh, for you to cook on Yom Tov where it's not allowed to do that on uh, Shabbat uh, the Chachamim wanted to make sure that people don't take Yom Tov lightly and think that it's just simply a, uh, you know, not, not as important. So actually there are certain laws that are more stringent on Yom Tov than on, uh, on uh, Shabbat. One of them, one of the main ones is Muktzeh, the laws of Muktzeh. The laws of Muktzeh are more stringent on Yom Tov than they are on, uh, uh, on a uh, Shabbat. Uh, so uh, make sure that if, let's say, for example, you have to take out the, uh, the garbage, do it already before the holiday. Do it before the holiday. Uh, different uh, items of uh, muktzeh, you have to be careful not only on Shabbat, but also on, uh, on the holiday itself. These are the basics of the laws, but then there is one more that we're going to discuss and uh, go deeper into. Now, the uh, Rambam writes that uh, when it comes to holidays for the Jewish people, all of what I just mentioned to you is a uh, certainly critical alachot, critical laws of the holiday, which most people uh, that are obviously uh, Torah observant, at least trying to be Torah observant, don't necessarily have a problem with, don't have necessarily much of an issue to implement them. But there is one particular law that uh, either it's unknown by most people or it's simply uh, something people don't think is as important. Uh, and in fact, this is one of the foundational laws of Yom Tov that is required uh, is actually this. And this is the mitzvah of giving tzedakah to people that are involved with learning Torah or teaching Torah or both before the holiday. It is very critical for a person to understand this is not a custom. This is an halacha. And it's across the board for all holidays, but it's even more auspicious time to donate money for people that are toiling in Torah before the holiday because this is the holiday of Matan Torah. This is the holiday of Matan Torah. Now, of course, the average person is going to tell you, uh, fine, no problem, I'll give you know, $5 and $10 and $20. And if that's literally all you can afford because all you make is, I don't know, $100 a week or $200 a week and all you can afford is to give $10, no problem. This, you know, everybody obviously has to do things relevant to them. But the truth be told that most people in the West uh, are making a whole lot more than that. And in fact, there are many people that make a fortune. Uh, they may not consider it a fortune because they don't they have the income but not the blessing but uh, they certainly make a lot more than simply the uh, ten dollars that they give warrant and sometimes uh, even a hundred or a thousand or ten thousand is not enough all depending on the person that is giving so a person needs to know that when it comes to giving tzedakah tzedakah is not something that is simply nice to do Staka is actually one of the foundations of Judaism's altogether. And in fact, staka is one of the main ways that a person 
testifies their belief to their creator. Not just testifies that they believe that the creator created the world, but testifies that the creator gave us the Torah, and it's actually our obligation, our obligation to invest into the Torah and make it our top priority, to learn and to invest in. Now, of course, the people that are out there that are donating, this is simply, uh, you know, a, a singing to the choir. They already know all of this. But there are many people that don't necessarily donate, at least don't do it regularly, that uh, really think that maybe perhaps this is just a money-making scheme by, by, by the rabbis. It's, uh, you know, I'm the one that's working, and uh, why should I give it to these people? Or, or why should I give, you know, 10% of what I make? I make 10000 I have to give them 1000 I make 100000 I have to give them 10000 That's a lot of money. And in so many words, they don't necessarily understand that this is not a suggestion, but rather an obligation as part of Judaism. Now, when it comes to the Torah, a person needs to know that there are different parts of the Torah. And the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says that if a person wants to be a kosher person, they have to obviously believe the Torah. But there is a verse in the Torah, in Gemara Masechet Sanhedrin, page 99a is where this is being discussed, where the Torah says, Ki dvar Hashem baza, karet yikaret nafsho, avanam bam that this person desecrated the word of Hashem, his, um, his soul will be cut off, karet, and then it ends off with, his sin is in his hand. So the Gemara asks, who is this person that gets this horrible situation where they desecrated the word of God and now they're getting a karet? Who is this person? The Gemara says, Someone that is from, not just someone that is not from. Someone obviously doesn't follow Torah, doesn't keep Shabbat, doesn't keep anything. He's obviously considered an idol worshiper. We don't have to uh, give a teaching on such a thing because that's obvious common sense even to the idol worshiper himself. If he, a Jew that desecrates Shabbat is considered 100% no different than someone that prays to a Buddha statue or to rats or to, or to uh, cows or uh, to a star. There's no difference between the two of them. That's what the Rambam writes in Ilchot uh, Shabbat, chapter 30, the last halacha. That's in the Gemara. That's in the Torah many times. Parashat Kitisa, which is in two weeks. You'll see it there as well. Uh, the point is that someone that doesn't keep, a Jew that doesn't keep Shabbat has no share of the world to come. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people that are from. People, we're talking about people that are Torah observant. They're keeping Shabbat. They're keeping family purity. They're keeping kosher. They're, in so many words, doing their best. Okay, now, a person could be doing their best, but yet be considered someone that is an apikos, a heretic, that has no share of the world to come. How? The Gemara says, he desecrated the name of God. How did he desecrate the name of God? He says he believes in the Torah. He believes in the Torah. Everything he believes. Believes Moshe Rabbeinu went to Mount Sinai, went up there, his body was here, his soul was there, all types of wonderful things. There was all plagues, Egypt, the whole thing happened over there, split the ocean into 12, no problem. Everything is good. He believes everything except one small thing in the Torah, one small letter, or even one of the teachings of the sages. He doesn't believe that. 
The Gemara says, this person is an apikoros, has no share of the world to come. And that's what the Rambam paskins la'alacha in Ilchot Shuvah, chapter 3, alacha number 6. When it talks about, these are the people that have no share of the world to come. There is the missionaries, which is called the minim, people that are enticing Jews to go to all forms of idolatry, such as Christianity, Catholicism, Buddhism, uh, uh, LGBTQism, all these other types of idol worship. Then there's also the heretics, the kufrim. Who are these kufrim? The Rambam elaborates on the next, on the uh, same uh, section, chapter 3, but Alakha number 8, and he elaborates. These kufrim, one of the conditions to be a kufr is a person that doesn't believe even one word of the Torah or the sages. One word. He doesn't believe. He says, listen, you know what? I think everything the sages, the Torah is true, everything is good, but I think that over here, when they mention this in the Gemara, it doesn't make sense because according to my logic or according to the uh, scientist on, uh, that gave a TED talk or according to whoever, whatever, uh, the, 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 the sages are wrong here. That person just took himself from Gan Eden and inserted himself into Gainon. Why? One word. One word. Now, what are some of the things that we know and we love and, 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 and we believe, but yet you could easily have an average person that's from. I have a tough time believing. I'll give you a story. The time of Korach, Korach was not a Rasha from birth. In fact, Korach was a Tzaddik. Chachamim say that Korach was a Navi, was a prophet. He was from Shevet Levi. He did amazing. Hashem blessed him to be the richest man in the world, so much so that he had more money than anybody in history, to the extent that until this day, there's an expression in Hebrew, which is Ashir Kekoach, rich like Koach. Koach was enormously wealthy. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that's actually part of the, his downfall is that he started giving money to the, uh, the uh, different uh, uh, leaders of Am Yisrael, the, 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 uh, and they started simply agreeing with everything he said. So the, uh, the owner of the money is the owner of the opinion in so many words. And Korach saw in Ruach HaKodesh that Shmuel Navi is going to come from him. So he figured that he must be better than Moshe Rabbeinu. If Shmuel is going to come from him, certainly he's going to win this argument against Moshe Rabbeinu. And since the logical way wouldn't work by simply explaining to people, this is what I saw, or I, uh, I am better, I'm a better speaker, whatever it is, what did he do? He invented all types of lies. He said that Moshe Rabbeinu is really trying to steal our money. He's, uh, uh, you know, he's uh, telling us that we have to uh, you know, buy mezuzot like uh, the $500 mezuzot, $150 mezuzot in every door. Why do I need to buy a mezuzah if I have a Sefer Torah? So Moshe Rabbeinu is probably just trying to make money out of us. Or another uh, uh, Midrash says that, uh, Moshe, uh, Korach says Moshe Rabbeinu is trying to make money on us by telling us that uh, we have to buy tzitzit. The tzitzit that uh, has uh, to be special made where the whole thing is a uh, uh, white except one ptil. One little string has to be trelet. Trelet that's made from the uh, blood of a specific uh, animal. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore, even though there's some debates in the world that it does. 
Point being is, Chachmei Yisrael do not accept that Chelet is still around in the world today, but at the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, certainly it was there. And one of the strings would have to be Tchelet. So he says, why do I need one string to be Tchelet if my entire garment is Tchelet? My entire garment is this color. So I think it's Moshe Rabbeinu, maybe he has a factory or something. Maybe he's trying to make money out of us. And he made up all types of lies. Then he said, look, all of these laws where Moshe Rabbeinu is telling us we have to give Maaser, we have to give tithe, to the Kohanim, that's probably because his brother is the Kohen. He made his brother the Kohen, so he wants us to give him money. And I can tell you guys, he says, that this is not good. I just spoke to an old lady, he says, and this old lady used to be rich. Her husband gave her, her husband died, but he gave her a bunch of money, gave her a bunch of fields, but she had to give uh, Moshe, uh, you know, more and more pieces of it every month, every month. Eventually, she said she couldn't handle it. She sold the field, she bought some, uh, some animals. But then Moshe Rabbeinu and his brother came and they uh, said, no, you got to give us from this too. So she kept giving him and giving him until the point where she had no money. See, so Moshe Rabbeinu stole everything from her. These are the types of lies that Korach invented. Now, unfortunately, because he had so much money and apparently he was a good speaker, people believed him. So much so that there had to be a showdown. A showdown where Moshe Rabbeinu brings the ktoret he has to bring an incense offering as a sacrifice to hashem and korach and his 250 rabbis that follow him also bring it moshe rabbeinu is praying to akadosh Baruch Hu, don't listen to their prayer korach is certain he's going to win and there are plenty of followers that also are certain that korach is going to win so much so that this causes commotion in the heavens to the point where the angel of the sun you know the sun every one of the creations has an angel the grass in your front or backyard has an angel next to it the Gemara says that each day tells it grow grow there's an angel for the moon there's an angel for the sun there's all types of angels Rabbi Akiva says in a Bereta there's an angel in the middle of the universe where the name of this angel is Israel and it has the name has some type of uh, uh, seats on his on its head and on it it says Israel and then each day at a specific moment it roars in the middle of the heavens bless Hashem bless Hashem to all of creation and all of creation responds Baruch Hashem HaMevorach Le'olam Va'ed Blessed is Hashem Forever and ever There's such an angel Imagine how big this angel is So there's all types of angels One of the angels is the sun The sun The sun that is Apparently according to The people that are familiar with The distances between earth And the sun They say it's 93 million uh, 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 Miles away from us Good The angel of the sun Christ to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I've had it with this. If you let Korach continue this way, embarrass Moshe Rabbeinu, and you let him win, tomorrow I'm not shining. I'm not shining tomorrow. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the sun, Ah, so when Moshe Rabbeinu is being embarrassed, you threaten that you're not going to do your job and shine. 
But what about when people are making fun of me? What about when people are not believing in me and they're praying to idols? They're praying to you. They're praying to the moon. They're praying to cows. They're praying to rats. They're praying to money. How come you keep shining every day for the last few thousand years? The son got so embarrassed that he realized, oh, how is it that I have been so foolish that I never mentioned a single thing about the desecration of God's name that happens almost every second? People are praying to idols. People are praying to money. People are praying to all types of shtuyot, all types of nonsense. I never said anything. But Moshe Rabbeinu, I said something. Not that Moshe Rabbeinu is no good. I shouldn't vouch for him. But how come I didn't do the same thing for Hashem? The sun got so embarrassed, it didn't want to shine anymore. It wanted to die. Akadosh Baruch Hu said, you have to shine. The sun was too embarrassed to shine. And the Midrash says every day for the last 3,334 years, Akadosh Baruch Hu shoots arrows of fire that are even hotter than the sun at the sun to force it to shine because it's so embarrassed. So now we see from here, the Midrash tells us some behind the scenes of the magnitude of Akadosh Baruch Hu is humility but also the, the moment that any creature in this world understands where it stands in comparison to the creator, the first thing they feel is embarrassment because they're not doing enough. So how could it be that a person hears that the rabbis, the yeshivot, the different organizations that are publicizing Torah says, give tzedakah, it's important, help the poor, help the needy, help the Torah scholars, and either they don't give, or they give like, you know, whatever change they have in their pocket while the millions and the hundreds of thousands and the tens of thousands are stored safely at some Bitcoin or some stock or some bank account that's giving them 4% interest. They give you like, yeah, hey, hey, like, you know, like the leftovers you give to dogs. How come? How could it be? That on one hand, the son wanted to die and still wants to die to this day because of the embarrassment that happened three years ago, 3,000 years ago. But yet, the average person, from, from, religious, but you tell him, listen, do you give myself, do you give 10% of your income at least? Invest it into what? I give enough, I give enough. I'm not asking if you give enough or not. I'm asking you if you fulfill the mitzvah. On top of that, you give stock on top of the 10%. Each time before Yom Tov. Each time there's an opportunity. Each time you have extra. Do you know the laws of, of Taka? Do you know the laws of money? I give enough. I give enough. Whether you give enough or not is according to the Torah, not according to the opinion. Now, one of the things that we learn from history is that in reality, nobody outlives their money. Nobody. The wealthier you are, the more money you're going to regret not giving away. Why? Because eventually a person dies and the money stays. And usually the money goes to a bunch of people you don't want to give it to. You thought you're going to give it to your kids, but you ended up giving it to your kids and to their ex-wives, to your kids and to their girlfriends, to your kids and to their significant other that's not exactly a big fan of yours, to your new wife's husband, to your 
husband's new wife, to your competitor, to the IRS, to taxes, to the hospital, you know. There's a lot of issues when it comes to being wealthy. The people that are not prepared for it, they don't know how to do, they don't know the laws, they don't understand that they're going to get punished for it. And this is not what I'm saying, this is what the Chafetz Chaim said. Chafetz Chaim said to his Talmud Muvak, Rav Asrman, and we brought this in the series, Era of Mashiach, in one of the lectures, where the Chafetz Chaim said, the people that will get punished the most at the time of Mashiach are the rich people, the rich Jews that did not give enough tzedakah for the sake of Torah. They're going to punish the most. Meaning, more than the heretics, more than the Chalil Shabbat, more than everybody else. Why? Because Hashem made you successful for a reason. You were supposed to be the one that was going to be used to publicize the Torah, to get people to do tshuva before Mashiach comes. You didn't do it, you're a traitor. Now, of course, not everybody's rich, and in fact, most people are not rich. There are more rich people today than any other time in history. But needless to say, if the amount of people that are not even rich, people that are average, followed the laws of the Torah, literally you would have 10 times more people following the Torah than we have today. So, one of the things that a person needs to know is that the Torah discusses money and it tells us different messages. One of the messages is in Parashat Naso. It says in Parashat Naso, in chapter 5, verse number 5 and 10, And every portion from any of the holies that the children of Israel bring to the Kohen shall be his. A man's holies shall be his. And what man gives to the Kohen shall be his. In so many words, what the Torah is telling us here, that, you know, the people that made certain sins, as it says in, uh, in uh, verse number 7, part of their confession is to bring a sacrifice, to give money, but also part of being a Jew, you have to give money to the Kohen, money for the Torah, money for the Bet Mikdash. But there's an interesting thing here where it keeps saying, lo ye, lo ye, which means it shall be his. What is this, it shall be his? What does it mean, it shall be his? He's giving and therefore it's his? Now, of course, we can understand the basics, which is the only, as we said before, a person eventually dies and the money that he has doesn't go with him to Shemaim. In fact, the more money he has left that he didn't give during his lifetime, the more problems he can have because if his kids and his inheritance use that money for bad, it goes to his account. And he cannot rely on the fact that they're going to do so much good with it if he didn't raise them that way. So, and even if he did, doesn't necessarily mean that they always have control. So a person needs to know whatever you give during your lifetime, that's really what you have. That's re- what you gave is what you have. The Sabami Navardok had a famous donor that made the tea. And uh, this very same donor 
he came to the Savami um, Slavotka. And Savami Slavotka also got a donation from him. But after the war erupted and they took all of the money, he said, there are two people I'm not going to forgive. Who? The Savami Navaldok and the Savami Slavotka. Why? How could you say such a thing? He says, how come when they came to me for Tzedakah to collect money, why did they come with guns? That way, they would take all the money, so at least the money that I had could be used for Torah, for good things. Instead, what happened? The Nazis took it. The, 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 the communists took it. The evil monsters took it. Why did the rabbis come with guns? Tell me, give me all the money. Let's go. We have to publicize Torah. And he was serious. He was, I can't believe I missed out. And he was a tzaddik, big tzaddik. Big tzaddik. Chacham, tzaddik, ashir, everything he had. He was upset that he didn't give enough. So now, we understand that certain people see a verse says, what you have is what you give. Good. What does the Torah say? What else does the Torah say? Rashi Alamakum says, Rashi says, Lohiye shall be his, means Lohiye Arbe Mamon. To him shall be a lot of money. To him shall be a lot of money. Meaning, the fact that he gives charity is going to be the reason why he will have a lot of money. But how could it be? If I made 10,000, I give 1,000. I have 9,000. Rashi says, no. You have 10,000. You gave nine. You gave 1,000. You have 9,000. But as Kadosh Baruch Hu himself promises you, you'll have more than 9,000. How? Eh, he has all types of ways. All of a sudden, there's a new customer. All of a sudden, the existing value increases. There's a million and a half different ways that Kadosh Baruch Hu can increase your wealth. This doesn't happen right away. Everybody has their own tests and that Hashem has timing specific to each and every single circumstance. But nonetheless, a person that gives on a regular basis for the sake of Torah, there's no question the Torah promises that he will have more. He will have more. Now, the parasha continues and says, right after this whole thing about the giving to the Kohanim and that he will have more money, it goes into the next segment, which we'll elaborate on further next week. But the next section goes into Parashat Sota, which is the wayward woman, a woman that is suspected of committing adultery. Now, this is one next to the other. The Torah doesn't connect things for no reason. Why is giving to the Kohen, giving to the Torah, connected to a woman committing adultery, a sinful woman? Even if she didn't commit adultery, she's still considered a sinful woman because of how she segregated herself from everybody and secluded herself with a man that's not a husband. So either way, she deserves the embarrassment and may deserve death if they actually commit adultery. Why is, this why is this connected? Why is this connected? And then further, the Gemara Masechet Ta'anit, page 9a, says in Parashat Re'eh and a few other places in the Torah, Ma'aser v'titasher. If you give, like Rashi said, you give, you can have more. In fact, if you give the 10%, you'll be rich. You'll be rich. What's the connection between all of these? 
there was once a businessman that came to the Chafetz Chaim. Came to the Chafetz Chaim. And he came to the giant sage of the generation, the Kohen Gadol, Chafetz Chaim. And uh, he says to him, Rabbi, I was uh, considering opening another business. What does a rabbi think? Why you want to open another business? He goes, I want to make more money. Oh. He goes, I'll answer you with a story. Chachamim like to answer questions with stories. He says to him, there was once a villager. Villager, not so smart. Villager. He used to have a barrel of wine. And he would sell cup by cup. People would come, take a cup of wine. And he had the uh, uh, dispenser tap open. Give him the wine. He gets the uh, ruble. Finished. One day this villager is thinking, how can I have, what can I do to make more money? And his wife, who perhaps has the same level or lower IQ than he does, says to him, uh, honey, I have a great idea. Great idea of how you can make more money. You have a barrel of wine with one dispenser. Why don't you connect a second dispenser to the same barrel? That way you make double the profits. Chafetz Chaim goes back to his stillness. He goes, what do you think about this uh, woman's suggestion? You think he's going to double his profits? The guy says, no, of course not. She's a fool. It's the same barrel of wine. Ah, your ears should hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. Your ears should hear the words that are coming out of your mouth. It's the same barrel. Getting a second business is not your key to making more money. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to give you more money, He doesn't need to give you it to a second business. The blessing doesn't come from a second business necessarily. You want to open a second business by all means, but don't think that the second business is what's going to give you more money. You have to know where the money comes from. It's not coming from the second business. It's not even coming from the first business. It's coming from the creator of all businesses. The creator of everything else that exists. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He's the one that decides. The Gemara in Masechet Rosh Hashanah, page 16, and also Masechet Beitzah, also page 16, says, on Rosh Hashanah, HaKadosh Baruch decides how much money you're going to get for that year. It's already decided how much money you're going to get. Now, how much blessing you're going to get, the Mishnah says, is determined day by day. You do good things, the blessing changes. Bad things, the blessing changes. What does it mean, Blessing. It could be decreed that you're going to make a million dollars this year. But the blessing is so minimal that out of the million dollars, you only keep 10,000. So the guy that works at the local, uh, you know, gas, uh, 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 giving gas to people, he makes minimum wage. But I can promise you, at the end of the year, he has more than 10,000. Meaning you and him, he's richer than you. How? He has better blessing than you. So the blessing is determined day by day. Now the Gemara in Masechet Ketubot, page 50, says that a person should, shouldn't spend more than Chomesh on charity. A person shouldn't give more than 20% on charity. But the Chachamim elaborate on this. This is for the average person. Average person, I don't know, in, in today's world, if you're in a Western society in America, you make 100000 200000 you know, it's almost normal. Of 
course, many people make 30 and 40 and 50,000 and they have to have three jobs in order to have that kind of money. No problem. If you're in different parts of the world, you're in Africa, if you make 10,000 a year, you're already doing great. So different people, different uh, amounts. But the reality is, is that the Chomesh, this giving 20%, not 10%, that's the ceiling for those people. But it's not the ceiling for the people that make much more. A person that makes half a million, a million, five million, ten million, all types of big numbers, has a lot of money already, certainly that person can give much more than Chomesh, right? Because they don't need all that money. They don't need a million dollars a year, five million dollars a year, a hundred million dollar portfolio. They don't need that. So certainly, their limitation is not 20%. The Midrash Haggadah brings a story of a wealthy man that had a thousand acres of land, huge amount of land. I don't know if you ever saw what an acre of land looks like. It's a pretty substantial amount of land. A thousand acres, huge. I remember years ago when... uh, I was still on Wall Street. We made an investment in a property. And we bought 37 acres. Some property. I don't know. I had some crazy fantasies in my head that one day I'm going to have. I don't know what I was going to have in this property. Bought 37 acres of property. Now, I bought the property without even looking at it. One day I went to this place to go look at this property. I never saw 37 acres in my life. I saw Wall Street. I saw... Millions of dollars, that's what I saw. One day I go to this place, as a mountain, and as this, and I'm like, okay, where's it, when does it end? He goes, oh, end? No, you have to be here all day. What do you mean all day? I don't have all day. 20 minutes, 20 minutes, even with a car, you can't do it. Huge, 37 acres, imagine a thousand acres. A thousand acres, a lot of land. So this one rich man had a thousand acres. And he told his son, the secret to my success is because each year I give my ma'asil. I give profits equivalent to a thousand acres every year. I have a thousand acres that are growing all types of things. A hundred acres out of the thousand go to the Torah. Make sure to do that and you'll have continued success. So one day this old man dies, his son takes over, and the first year he gives. Second year he gives, but he starts seeing it's a lot of money, this hundred acres worth of profits, we're talking about millions of dollars. Come on, maybe they don't need that much. They already have a shul, they already have a yeshiva, they already have, they have, they don't need. I need. Why does he need? He doesn't know why he needs. So he doesn't give a hundred. He gives fifty. And he sees that his profits went down the next year. So you see, I'm not getting blessing from this stuff. So he gives even less. And the next year, the profits go down even further. He says, ah, well, this is terrible. He gives even less, and it keeps going lower and lower until he lost all of his money. On a day that he lost all of his money, pretty much declared bankruptcy, his family came and started celebrating. So why are you celebrating? I just lost everything. He says, no, it's a big day today. Why a big day? Until now, you were the giver that's mentioned in the parasha that gives to the Kohen. You are the giver to the Kohen. You are the giver for the Torah. Now that you've lost everything, Hashem has to be the Kohen. He has to give you. So we're celebrating for you. You know, trying to make him feel better, but in reality, the disaster of all disasters. Disaster of all disasters. Why? He lost everything because he didn't give. 
Now, Rashi says, one of the reasons why you have the part where it talks about giving for the sake of Torah connected to Parashat Sota with the wayward woman is because when a person does not give money for the Torah, Torah says, you'll see that one day your wife is going to commit adultery. What is the connection? That's what Torah says. You didn't give to the Quran, your wife's going to commit adultery. That's the meaning. But how does this be? How could this be? What's the connection? The Kliakar says, when a person reads the word of Shlomo Melech, Shlomo Melech says, and this is also mentioned in the Gemara, in Masechet Sota, on uh, page uh, uh, 4b, that a man that is promiscuous and goes with zonot is destined to lose all of his money. Person is promiscuous, doesn't protect his bleat, loses money. Zonot, even worse. And the connection, therefore, is that when the wife of a rich man sees that he's starting to lose money, he's starting to lose money, he's losing money, really, because he's not giving maaser, he's not giving charity for Torah. That's why he's losing money. But she doesn't know. She sees he's losing money. All of a sudden, she starts thinking, oh, he's probably losing money, maybe because he's getting cursed from heaven because he's cheating on me. He's going with other women. He's going, he's, uh, he's promiscuous. So what does she do? She says, oh, if he's cheating on me, he's committing adultery. I'm also going to commit adultery. And she ends up cheating on him. And therefore, the Kliyakal says, that's why she eventually has to go to the Kohen to verify if she committed adultery or not. Now, she's considered a shote. She's considered crazy. Why? She should have known that he's losing money, not because he's cheating. He's losing money because he's cheating on you. He's losing money because he's cheating on Hashem. He's not giving his portion for the sake of Torah. Now, as we said before, the Gemara in Masechet Sanhedrin says that to believe in Hashem, in His Torah, means you have to believe every single word. No exceptions. Shlomo HaMelech had several books that are part of the Tanakh. You have Kohelet, that's uh, Ecclesiastes in English. You have Mishle, which is Proverbs in English. And you have Shira Shirim, which is Song of Songs in English. Three books. The Gemara in Masechet Megillah says that Shlomo HaMelech, in page 7a, Shlomo HaMelech had 3,000 other proverbs that he wrote that were not included in the Tanakh. Why not? Because unlike what was included in the Tanakh, in Proverbs, in Ecclesiastes, in the Song of Songs, that were all through Ruach HaKodesh, the other 3,000 uh, uh, Proverbs that he had were through his wisdom. Now what kind of wisdom did Shlomo HaMelech had? He was the wisest man of all time. Aside from, uh, from uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, there was nobody wiser than, than Shlomo HaMelech. He had literally divine wisdom. He knew things that until this day we don't know how to do. His throne, how he built it, all types of things. So Shlomo Melech's wisdom is not uh, just, oh, he was a smart guy. 
And yet, all of that that came through his wisdom is not included in Tanakh. Meaning that everything that he wrote in the Tanakh is the word of God himself. Which means, if we read it and we believe it, good for us, we are still considered part of Am Yisrael, we're still considered on the good side. If we read it and we don't agree, we don't like it, we don't believe, Hashem Yishmo, this could be considered Isur Karet. Udvar Hashem Baza. So what does he say? Relevant to what we're talking about. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 24. You can remember it with 11 is Yud Aleph, Yud Yaron, Aleph Ephraim, 24, 24 books of the Torah. יש מפזר ונוסף עוד וחוסך מיושר אחלה מחסור. There is one who scatters and more is added and one who refrains from what is proper only for a loss. Again, there is one who scatters and more is added and one who refrains from what is proper only for a loss. This statement by Shlomo HaMelech is the opposite of logic in the world today. Ob- ob- opposite of logic in general. Why? You're saying one who scatters, more is added. He scatters, he spends, throws it, but he gets even more. And one who saves, has less. He loses. Shlomo Melech, the Shruach HaKodesh. What does it mean? Rashi Alamakum says, sometimes people scatter money, yet even more is added to their fortunes. Why? This happens when they give money to tzedakah, to charity. Whereas hoarded wealth does not make a person rich. Money that is spent on pursuits pleasing to Hashem, meaning you invest more into Torah, you invest more into mitzvot, brings additional wealth. The Kedushat Elevi says, one who generally, generously distributes to tzedakah, to charity, demonstrates that money is unimportant to him or her, and that he prefers to rely on the source of all wealth. Who is the source of all wealth? HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And just as HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite, so His blessing is infinite. Further, Rashi says, what about the one, He's the one that scatters, Hashem gives Him more. He gives more charity, Hashem gives Him more. He gives more charity, Hashem gives Him more. Why? That's how it works. You're a good business partner with Hashem. What about the other guy? He's not giving. He keeps to himself. He makes 100,000, he keeps 100,000. He makes 50,000, he keeps 50,000. He makes 500,000, he may keep 500,000. Once in a while, he gives to the homeless guy to make himself feel good. Not the homeless guy feels good. Himself, he feels good. He shows his wife, look, see, see, I'm generous. I gave that homeless guy $20. What $20? You think that homeless guy is not going to be homeless because of your $20? Give him a job. Give him something more meaningful. Yeah, maybe. Especially when you have a lot. But people like to make themselves feel good. Especially with small things to show off to people. 
He keeps to himself. Shlomo HaMelech says, refrains from doing what's proper only for a loss. Rashi says, what does this mean only for a loss? If he refrains from giving what he should, meaning what he should according to the Torah, he will only lose from that. He will not gain from that. Because one who doesn't give the proper amount of tzedakah loses the blessing and therefore does not preserve his money in the end. But rather, this is what brings him his losses, says the Metsudot. And the Rambam in Ilchot Deot, chapter 1, Alakha number 4, says that if a person had to choose between extremes of, of, of stinginess and extreme of extravagance, because generally the Rambam says you have to be in the middle. For everything, you have to be middle. But what about if you, don't, you can't be in the middle? You're either extremely generous or extremely stingy. The Rambam says, in this case, be extremely generous. It's better to give extravagantly to tzedakah and perform commandments. Why? Because stinginess, being cheap, will never benefit a person and will only cause him to lose more and more in the long run. In fact, by the way, the Ralbag also says that this is also relevant to people that teach Torah. Or people that possess knowledge. If they're cheap with their knowledge, they'll end up losing it. If you know Torah and you don't teach it, you end up losing that Torah. You have certain knowledge that can help people. You, you, you are stingy with it, you end up losing it. Why? Stinginess is literally the opposite of Hashem. Hashem only gives. Who gave you the right to just to take? It's the opposite of Hashem. So here it says, Shlomo HaMelech, if you give for the sake of Torah, you're going to have more. But he's not telling you, oh, this is a skula, this is good to do, it's a mitzvah. No, no, he's literally warning you. Just like the Chachamim were supposed to do. According to the Tzaddik, who he says, why didn't they come to me with guns to take my money? At least the Nazis wouldn't have it, the communists wouldn't have it, I would have it in Torah. Shlomo HaMelech literally is warning us, he says, if we don't give, that means we're going to lose. But he's not just talking about losing money. We can lose everything as a result because it means we don't believe not a word in the Torah, not a word of the sages. We don't believe an entire verse, an entire verse in the Torah. It's like you have a Torah and you just simply deleted a verse. Now, of course, there's a bunch of other verses that say similar things. Let's just assume this is the only verse in the Tanakh. There's one verse in the Torah deleted. The Rambam Paskins Lalachai, if a single letter you don't believe of the sages or the Torah, you're considered an apikolos, you're considered you have no share of the world to come. You don't believe an entire verse? We have a problem. That person said, yeah, but it's hard. You're right, it's hard. You're right, it's hard. That's the point. Who's the one that's making you the money? The barrel of wine with the two tap dispensers or the one that created the wine? 
and decides how much money you're going to make out of this wine or anything else. So now, we have to look at things a little different. The Gemara in Babatra, page 75a, has Rabbi Yochanan teach a shiur, famous shiur, where he talks about the end of days, what will happen when Mashiach comes. One of the things that will happen is that the Bet HaMikdash will come down from heaven and we're going to see some amazing things. Rabbi Yochanan says that the doors of the Bet HaMikdash are going to be diamond. Not diamonds, diamond. Each one is going to be a complete diamond, 15 meters long. You know what 15 meters is? It's 45 feet. Each diamond, each door is a single diamond. All the people in the 47th Street jewelry business will be happy to be sellers of this diamond. Rabbi Yochanan teaches this. One of the students listening to this, come on, who? 15 meters diamond, come on, today, he says to himself, today, we can't even, we don't have a diamond the size of a chicken egg. What 15 meters? 45 feet diamond, 50 feet diamond? Chicken egg diamond, you're already one of the richest people in the world. The Gemara says, shortly later, this very same Talmud, this very same student, went on a ship. The ship hit a storm, collapsed, he goes into the ocean along with everybody else. As he goes into the bottom of the ocean, he opens his eyes and he sees that in the bottom of the ocean, there are angels working on two huge diamonds, shaping it. And obviously this Talmud is not a regular Talmud, he's a holy Talmud, this is a very special guy. You can see angels, people see pictures of demons and they're already scared to death. They talk about this kid to see an angel and he's happy to see him. He talks to them. He says, what are you doing? He says, we're preparing the doors of the Bet HaMikdash. Hashem made him see what Rabbi Yochanan said. He survives the shipwreck. He goes to the beach. Goes to the yeshiva. In the yeshiva, Rabbi Yochanan is teaching. As soon as he comes to the yeshiva, he says... Yeah, Rabbi, keep teaching, keep teaching. Rabbi Yochanan looks at him and says, Huh? He says, Yeah, Rabbi, keep teaching because you speak the words of God. What you said, I saw. I saw the doors that you talked about. Now you would think, this is great, Kiddush Hashem. The rabbi said, the, the, the guy saw, Wow, what a wonderful story. If that was the end, we would be happy, but it's not the end. And we wouldn't learn anything from it if it was, that was the end. What's the lesson? As soon as Rabbi Yochanan hears what this guy said, he says to him, empty one, you empty one, you're empty. Are you telling me that if you didn't see it, you wouldn't believe it? In so many words, you're an apikos. You're a heretic. He looked at him, and from the Kedusha that Rabbi Yochanan had, this guy turned into a heap of bones. He died on the spot. He died on the spot. Turned into bones. 
This is in the Gemara. Multiple places, by the way. Guy says, no, this story is a little bit too much for me. Too much for you. We already talked about it. It's a good story. Good story. What about the verse? The verse is in the Torah. Not to say that the story is not important, but the verse is in the Torah. The verse is in Proverbs. It's Tanakh. And people say, no, no, but the, but the Proverbs is not really Torah. Gemara says it is Torah. Many times the Chachamim refer, refer to the Proverbs, to Tehilim, to the uh, Prophets as Torah. Anyone says you otherwise is going against the Torah. Now, here we see somebody that was holy enough to see angels didn't believe that something was possible, lost his right to exist. Last but not least, the Gemara in Masechet Chulin, page 57b, brings a story where Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta sees the verse in Proverbs, chapter 6, verse 6. Says, Lech la nemala atzel, red Go to the end, you luggard, see its ways and be wise. Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta says, If it says, Go to the end, that means that Hashem is allowing us to go and check this out. So he goes to the ends. What is he going to the ends for? He says, It says, the teachings of the sages say that the ends. Are wise. One of the things that they do that's unique among them is they have a someone that is like a security, someone that's like a guard for them to protect the entire tribe of ants. So I want to check this out. How do I check this out? These ants don't go out. Specific ant group of ants wouldn't go out when it was the shi- the sun was shining. They would go out when there was the sun started coming down. So Rabbi Shimon ben Chalafta went to where the ants usually are and he put, you know, like a, some type of fabric, or maybe his jacket, over it as if it was the sun was, uh, was coming down. He saw that there's an ant at the opening. He put his eye on this ant and he covered the top with a big uh, jacket. As soon as he did this, Shortly thereafter, all the ants started coming out. All the ants started coming out. He took away the jacket. The ants turned around and killed that one ant that was in the opening. He says, ah, from there we see. They do have a a supervisor over there that didn't do his job because he told them that the sun is coming down. Obviously, they saw the sun didn't come down, so they killed him. The Tosfot says, what do we learn from this story? We learn from this story that there are times we have to look at things from the perspective of, is this something I can test or not? Here it says, go to the end and be wise, which means God is telling us through Shlomo HaMelech, go to the end and learn. When it comes to Maser, it also says, Give 10% and you will be rich. The Gaon Mivilna says, 
is give 10% and you'll be successful and you'll have protection of your money. But if you want it to be extraordinarily wealthy, give 20%. Either way, the sages teach us this is something you can test out. And I'm going to challenge anybody out there that's listening with this. If you give 10% of your income to us as an organization and you haven't seen more success, you've been giving for let's say at least a year, you haven't seen more success, stop giving. Don't give us anymore. This is not because we don't need your help. Why? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. If you're giving us 10% of what you make and you haven't become more successful, it's not bringing you more blessings, stop giving us. Don't donate a dollar more to our organization. The same goes if you give it to somebody else. If you're giving to organizations, you give it 5,000, 10,000, 20,000, all types of money that you give to people. You're not seeing blessings there. Something is wrong. Now, if you're not giving, that's what's wrong. You're not giving. You're not giving enough. That's what's wrong. You're the problem, not the money, not the organization. How could I be so confident to tell you that if you're not seeing a blessing from giving to our organization, stop giving? Because I've seen it. It's tried and tested, and I've seen it with my own eyes time and time again. Whoever gave got the blessings. Unfortunately, sometimes people get the blessings and they run away. And sometimes they stay. But I can assure you time and time again, people that give on a regular basis to our organization, but they give what they're supposed to give. Not, I don't call anybody for money ever. You're never going to get a call from me or from any of my employees about money. It's just simply not what we do. But people that give on a regular basis and they give at least myself to our organizations, literally the blessings they get, sometimes they can't believe it. Sometimes people say, yeah, I got a promotion. They don't, yeah, you got a, why, why do you think you got a promotion? Why do you think you got a promotion? Oh, yeah, I got a new customer. Why, why do you think you got a new customer? Oh, yeah, I just found this new inheritance of some ant that I never knew existed. Why, why do you think this ant died and, and somehow put your name in the will? Why? Why? Why do you think you got this? If you think you got it because you said tzaddik or tzaddika, fine, no problem. But I can assure you, there's a bigger reason. Shlomo HaMelech says, if a person scatters his wealth for worthy causes, he's only going to have more. He's only going to have more. If you are spreading your wealth, but you don't have more, something is wrong. Something is wrong. Why? It may not be a worthy cause. If we are the ones that's not a worthy cause, don't give. But if we are, spread the message. With that being said, Rabotai Karim, this is a mitzvah from a Torah to give before every holiday, even more so before the holiday of Shavuot. It's important for a person to know this is simply doing yourself a service. You're doing yourself a favor by giving. It's also the reason why when Rabbi Ephraim and I talked over the last few days about this huge event that Bezrat Hashem, our organization, committed to already last year where we have a uh, group of Avrechim that signed up to complete the Shas in a single year, that is coming to an end. We're almost a year into it. We're planning on having an event after the uh, Yamim Noraim, so it's going to be sometime in uh, October. It's going to be an enormous event, and simply just each person that completed the Shas in a single year, we committed to give them 10000 So you're talking about just the expense of all the people that are going to be completing the Shas, 
We're almost close to uh, uh, half a million dollars. Uh, and uh, so this is something, obviously, that is uh, a big commitment without, without having the money, without knowing where it's going to come and how it's going to come. Why? Simple. You invest more into Torah, you get more. Whoever wants to be a partner is welcome to be a partner. Whoever doesn't, by all means, like I said, anyone who gives gets rewarded. Anyone who doesn't give, doesn't give. They, uh, they, uh, they, they have uh, signed their own decree. But it's not a, uh, uh, a really a big chidush here because this is the words of the Torah. This is what we all committed to at Mount Sinai when we said, this is what we said. You said, I'm going to do Hashem. You said, I'm going to do. Yeah, what about if it's hard? Yeah. What about if it's uh, far away? Yeah. What about if it's this? What about if it's that? That's it. That's the commitment. That's the commitment. Sometimes it's easy for people to pray. It's easy for people to, to learn, but it's hard for them to be honest in business. Hard for them to be charitable. Hard for them to be generous. Hard for them to do, you know, anytime it comes to money. Some Chachamim say this is a form of idolatry. Why? Don't worship money. Money is simply a tool for Kadosh Baruch Hu to give you to do His will. If you've turned money into a, a, something more than that, you have a very serious problem. And it's important for a person to work on himself and there's no better time than right now. So, with that being said, I'm going to have a quick drink and then you guys can start asking some questions. All right, TikTok. Let's see what you guys have. Can you join Judaism or do you have to be related to Avram? Uh, yes, of course, there are... Uh, 46 places in the Torah where it says that there is a uh, mitzvah of, uh, that's related to converts, meaning that a person could be born uh, into uh, non-Jewish parents, whether they're practicing Christianity or Catholicism or Islam or Buddhism or nothing. Uh, and that person obviously is clever to know that the creator of the world uh, did not create us for no reasons and certainly didn't create us to be idol worshippers, worshipping a man that died or worshipping... Uh, some uh, some other false religion. Uh, so a person wants to become part of the Jewish people, they're more than welcome to become part of the Jewish people by going through a formal conversion. A formal conversion is simply a person uh, has to connect to some type of local Orthodox rabbi uh, to see if they could uh, uh, sponsor them to go to a Bedin uh, and convert. Now this doesn't happen overnight. Of course, whoever is going to be the rabbi that's going to uh, uh, sponsor them and uh, educate them to a certain extent. Most studying for conversion is self-study, but you need to know what to study. Uh, but they, uh, you need to learn how to be a Jew. You need to learn the different things. You need to learn the chumash. You need to learn the, the laws. You need to learn different things. This takes some time. And you also need to make certain life changes. One of the life changes is, you know, becoming modest for women. Uh, men also have to be modest. You have to obviously learn Torah on a regular basis. You have to start keeping kosher laws. And most critically, also, you have to live in a Jewish community because you have to be part of a Jewish community. You can't be a Jew in the middle of a jungle by yourself. You have to be part of a Jewish community so you know what to do and when to do it. Uh, and uh, so this takes some time. But once a person has done all of the necessary things... Uh, and as uh, has a sponsoring rabbi, that rabbi will take them to a beddin, and uh, they will convert. Uh, if the person uh, is, if it's a male, then they have to uh, have a circumcision. It's called a brit milah. Uh, if it's a, a female, then simply they uh, they don't know brit milah. Obviously, we're not Muslims, uh, so there's no brit milah or anything like that. We they go to the mikveh. 
uh, and uh, they become Jewish. But this, again, this takes time. This takes time. This takes uh, life changes. Now, one of the other people in, the, uh, in this thread said, so are you Jews the chosen people and the rest of the Gentiles are slaves? No, you'll never see that in the Torah where it says that the Jews are the chosen people while everyone else is slaves. No one says that. There's plenty of righteous Noahides. Non-Jews are considered Noahides. That's what they're called by God himself. The, uh, this is not a, uh, some invented term. All of creation is Hashem's creation. There are righteous people and there are wicked people. How do you determine righteousness and wickedness? Simple. If someone complies with the Torah, they're righteous. If somebody doesn't, they're wicked. Now, the laws that the Jewish people are obligated to do are much more numerous than the laws for the Gentiles. This doesn't mean that it's easy to be a righteous Gentile. They still have plenty of laws and, and changes that they need to make in order to be righteous. But the point being is, is that there are laws for the Jews and there are laws for the Gentiles. They're called Noahide laws. So these Noahide laws are, uh, there's the seven Noahide laws and there's ethical rules. Ethical rules such as honoring your parents, being ethical in business, and, and so on. Uh, these are things that are necessary for Noahides to do. Anyone that wants to learn some of these can go on my YouTube channel. There's a playlist called Noahides, and you can see that there's uh, several lectures over there. But a righteous Noahide is certainly a very, very special and important person in the world. Uh, and uh, a righteous Jew is certainly a very important and very special person in the world. Wicked people come in all forms and sizes. They come in Jewish form and they come in non-Jewish form. If a person makes it uh, seem to be that uh, their uh, skin color or their background is more uh, significant than uh, their belief system uh, or their servitude of Hashem, obviously there's a person that's spiritually sick. Uh, so a person needs to understand that in order to be righteous, you have to be righteous according to the Creator. In order to be wicked, you have to be wicked according to the Creator. He's the only one that determines who is righteous and who is wicked. As far as Jews, we have a role in the world to be uh, righteous as far as according to Hashem. And part of that is to be a light to the nations. Not a light to the nations where we go and we missionize like the Christians do and tell everybody to become Jewish. But rather, because the Torah, by following the Torah, it makes us better quality human beings. That is going to show others how to be better people. How to be better people. How to be more civilized uh, you know, if we don't follow the Torah, then in essence, we're destroying the world. So we're supposed to be a righteous people to the point where we're light to the nations. Uh, on the other hand, if a, uh, a, a Gentile wants to join us and wants to become a, uh, a Jewish person, there are laws that uh, uh, allow him or her to become a Jew no different than a Jew that was born that way. And in fact, someone that converts to Judaism is considered even higher than a natural born Jew. But that's again, assuming they convert a, you know, a, a, a lawful conversion, a conversion that's according to the Torah. Not that they wake up one day, like uh, Kanye West and the, the rest of his crazy friends that just simply determine that he's Jewish. He is Jew, not Jewish, or some other nonsense that he created in his demented bipolar mind. You can't just simply determine that you are Jewish. If you are born to Jewish parents, you are Jewish. If you're born to non-Jewish parents, you're not Jewish, but you can become Jewish by going through an orthodox conversion. The only conversion that's acceptable according to the Torah is an orthodox conversion. Everything else from reform, conservative, and all the other mumbo-jumbos that they have in the world, that's not Torah, that's not conversion. So a person that wants to be part of the Jewish people is more than welcome to join.
Sanhedrin, page 55b, a Jew may marry a three-year-old. What? A Jew may marry a three-year-old? Maybe you think that, but that's not what it says. That's not what it says. What you said is not what you read in the Gemara. What you said is what you read on some podcast or some internet thread that hates Jews. If you actually read the Gemara, then you will see that it does not say that a Jew that uh, uh, can marry a three-year-old, an adult can marry a three-year-old, because the Chachamim uh, uh, rebuked anyone that marries a uh, minor, uh, certainly anyone that marries a, uh, a, a woman that uh, doesn't want to marry him and, and fools somebody into doing it. And needless to say, uh, anyone that is a, uh, procreates with somebody that's a minor, that's completely forbidden according to the Torah. But what the Gemara did say is that the, uh, the, a woman is born with what's called a hymen. Okay, so if a, uh, a, a man is a, uh, uh, commits an intimate act with a uh, woman that is a, uh, you know, an adult, that's, if it's the first time, that hymen is broken. It's considered bi, it's considered an act of intimacy. Meaning it's considered a full act of intimacy, even though she has never done it before, this is the first time, but it's as long as that breakage makes, it's considered a full act of intimacy. If it doesn't break, then it's not considered a full act of intimacy. So then Gemara asks, what about if she is young, you know, and, and they, it's not fully formed, she's not fully mature, and the Gemara elaborates and says simple, if she's three years old or older, then it's fully formed, and uh, what, whatever act is made, it's considered as if it's full intimacy. Not that it's allowed, not that it should be done, but in essence, once that hymen is broken after the age of three years old, it'll never repair. On the other hand, if there's obviously an act of pedophilia, a forbidden act, but an act where it's a, uh, a, a child that's less than three years old, even by a single day, the Chachamim testify and say that the hymen that was broken will repair itself to the point where it's as if it was never broken. It was never broken. So that's what it actually says. If you actually ever wisen up and stop being anti-Semitic and a complete imbecile that likes to embarrass himself in public, uh, then you would read the Gemara and you would see that this is exactly what it says. But so long as people try to uh, uh, read a, uh, 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 books that are anti-Semitic and simply assume they understand what the Talmud says, what the Gemara says, then obviously they're just going to be, you know, shown as fools, just like the, this, this moron was uh, made, to make, it, to make somebody think that Jewish people, uh, you know, uh, adults, marry three years old uh, girls, that's even a moron that has never even uh, uh, went to a synagogue knows that that cannot be true. Even a person that's literally a person that doesn't know what Shabbat is, doesn't know anything. He knows that there are Jewish people, there are Christian people, there are all types of uh, people in the world. He knows that there is no civilization on planet Earth that's a civilized, you know, uh, 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 people throughout all of history that's simply where you have adults marrying infants. Of course, there's always sick people but it's never a something that a civilized nation does because if this was something that the Gemara actually said where men marry, grown men marry uh, three-year-old kids, two-year-old kids, then guess what? You'd see a bunch of this happening all over the streets. But guess what? You don't see it. Why don't you see it? Because it doesn't exist. But since people are too busy being anti-Semitic and ignorant and simply dumb, 
then this is this is what they portray to people. Say, oh look, look over there. It says three year old, and it says uh, an act of uh, intimacy. Oh, that must mean that this is what happens. It's it's, it's literally you have to you have to like uh, uh, um, rethink your whole life. Your whole life has to be rethought when you make such foolish mistakes, because. It's you're simply putting yourself in a situation where you are making assumptions about an entire people, an entire Torah, that an entire creation based on something that what you heard some non Jew usually say. Like something's wrong with you. You're either completely crazy or you are, you know, like a uh, gullible to the point where you're borderline crazy, because to believe such a thing, it's 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 just a. Like you have to use your common sense at some point, at common sense, you see that the Jewish people for the last three thousand three hundred thirty four years have committed themselves to the Torah. Okay, we still keep the same Torah that we got at Mount Sinai. Surely there are some of us that fall off and stop observing, but generally speaking, our people have been keeping the same Torah for 3,334 years. Have you ever seen any books written, any, any, anything, films made, anything throughout history, articles written, where you see an entire group of Jewish people marrying little infants? Have you ever seen such a thing? Have you ever heard of such a thing? Is there such a thing ever existed in history? Now, you have seen us keep the kosher laws. Why? Because it's in our Torah. You have seen us keep the holidays. Why? Because it's in our Torah. You have seen us have the chuppah, the Jewish ceremony for marriage. Why? Because that's in our Torah. You have seen us, you know, do all types of things in accordance to our Torah. Why? Because we follow the Torah. So if what you said is in the Torah also... How come you don't ever see it throughout all of history? You never seen a grown man marry a three-year-old person. How come? Why don't you see it? So this is again an act of lunacy that is highlighting the ignorance of the generation. And it simply needs to be addressed once and for all to make people understand that at some point you're not going to be prosecuted by God simply for mistakes. At some point you're going to be prosecuted by God simply for your elective stupidity. Your elective stupidity. You chose to be stupid because you chose simply to believe something that doesn't even mean common sense to any normal human being. No normal human being would believe such a thing. So how can you think that an entire people that is considered holy according to all other religions has such a thing? How can you bring yourself to think such stupidity and not literally be so ashamed you want to bury yourself and, and literally in some cemetery and never come out? How do you live with yourself with such stupidity running in your house? Do you have a brain or cockroaches in your head? How does somebody live? How do you put your pants on? How do you survive an entire day with such high level of stupidity without somebody instituting you and putting you into an insane asylum? How could that be that such people walk around earth and actually believe that they're civilized with such stupid beliefs, it's mind-boggling to me. 
Does Judaism have different laws from other places? Absolutely, but that's intentional. That's intentional. But to say such a thing, this is no different than the blood libels where the Gentiles say that we eat matzah on Pesach that has blood in it. Like, obviously, anyone that's normal today knows that that is the second highest level of stupidity in history. The first one being today. Well, we did this, this three-year-old thing. The second highest level in history is literally when they thought that we put blood of people in the matzah and they literally murdered countless Jews because of this false belief. Now, who didn't believe it? Anyone with common sense. Anyone with more common sense than hatred in their heart didn't believe such a thing. Why? Because it doesn't make sense. Why would we eat people? Why would we like it's just a, it's just such a dumb thing to think. But again, this is not 500 years ago. This was as you can see, Rabotai, live today. People are saying this on the internet that they heard from someone somewhere that Jewish people marry 3-year-olds. Where do you see this in society? Where? Where have you seen in history Jewish people marrying three-year-olds? Where do you see this? Oh, I didn't see it, but it's written. Well, everything else that's written, we do. So how come we don't do this? How come we never did this? Because that's not what it's written. Go read it and see. It doesn't say that. And stop being such a fool in public. You're embarrassing yourself to the point where you're bringing shame on yourself, your people, your family, and literally the world of Gentiles. You're making Gentiles look stupid. And I know plenty of non-Jews that are very bright. Very bright in a lot of different ways. Not just archaeology and mathematics. Very bright in Torah. You're literally making Gentiles look so stupid they shouldn't be part of the civilized world. What is wrong with you to say such a thing? Go study. Look at the book before you quote it. An act of stupidity that's elective is inexcusable. You literally made 8 billion people look stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself for making such a dumb statement without qualifying it, without checking it, without looking anything. Literally, you should be ashamed of yourself. For such dumb things that you say without even checking it. You're going to make a public statement? By all means, make whatever you say. Freedom of speech, they say. But at the very least, say something that makes sense. Say some words of wisdom. Say the words that make common sense. Don't just quote some page that you don't even know what it means. And then say, this is what it says. It's literally all of you can go. You could type on the internet Sanhedrin 55b. Like what he said. Okay, go Sanhedrin. Go there. Go see what it says. Go. How about this? You don't even have to go to the book. Go to every Jewish community. Find me one couple that's uh, an adult with a three-year-old. I'll give you a million dollars cash. Who thinks like this? This is this is what the world has come to. They believe uh, 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 memes. That's how people learn today. They, they, they believe memes and, 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 and blank statements. Read, read, read. You have eyes to read. And if you can't see, you have ears to hear. Don't make such stupid statements. Make it literally billions of people look stupid. Shame on you 
for being so foolish to make an entire people look stupid just for the sake of expressing hatred towards a people you don't know. For what? What do you gain out of it? Let's move on. What do I think of people who do not accept converts, even through the CRC? I've spoken about this uh, in the past before. Unfortunately, there are some communities and individuals in the Jewish community that do not accept righteous converts. This is a minority. It's certainly not a majority, but this is a reality. This is no different then people that do not accept people of different customs or different colors and cultures and so on. It's like, for example, somebody doesn't want his, a, uh, you know, his uh, family to befriend or to marry another family that's righteous according to all Torah standards just because they come from a different color or a different custom or a different background. This is racism. This is simply foolishness. And this is against the Torah. But it's even worse when a person is expressing that type of uh, uh, prejudice against righteous converts. Why? Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu has, as I said, several dozen places in a Torah of how much he loves the converts, he protects the converts, how much we're obligated to love the converts, so much so that the Rambam elaborates on it and says that our obligation to love converts is to love converts more than natural born Jews to the point where it's compared to our love of God. We have to love converts as much as we love God. This is obviously righteous converts, not wicked people that converted for, for foolish reasons. Righteous converts, we have to love them as much as we love God, which is more than a, uh, a natural born Jew. Even more so, some of the greatest leaders in Jewish history, including the Mashiach himself when he comes, come from converts. We read the book of Ruth. During this time of the year, guess what? She was a convert. She is the great-great-great-great-grandmother of the Mashiach himself. The Mashiach comes from a convert. Rabbi Akiva came from converts. Rabbi Meir Balanes came from converts. Shmaya Naftalion were converts themselves. Itro, the, the, the righteous, most uh, a righteous person that existed uh, at that time, the convert of Itro, Matan Torah. Matan Torah is Itro. It's called the, the, the Torah portion uh, of where we receive the Torah, which is Shavuot, is called after a convert's name, Yitro. Uh, literally, there are so many righteous converts throughout history that for anyone to reject converts is going against so many parts of the Torah, they simply will have a special place in Gehenna designated for them for doing such things. Now, if a person doesn't want to marry a convert because they don't believe that the convert is righteous, they don't believe that the convert is legitimate, that's one thing. But to simply be prejudiced against converts uh, just because they are converts, this is against the Torah. Now, as far as communities that do not accept conversion or individuals that don't accept conversions, meaning they don't believe anybody they can convert, these people are considered apikosim. They're considered excluded from Am Yisrael. So such thing is not accepting converts because converts is part of the Torah. As I said, in several places. Now, there are communities that, uh, and again, this is all minorities. This is not the majority of Jews or even a, a big portion of Jews, but there's certainly enough to make a stink. Uh, but they, uh, there are some communities that they don't, they're not against converts, 
but they don't accept converts among their own community. This is what some, uh, some people in the Syrian community uh, claim, where they're not against converts, they will befriend converts, they will uh, uh, do business with converts, maybe even, I don't know, they'll, they'll do uh, whatever they want, but they won't accept them into their yeshiva, into their synagogue as members. You could attend, but you can't be a member. You could, uh, you know, wave from afar away or something. I don't know, it's like, why? Because they believe that this is actually what's protecting the community from intermarriage. Truth be told, it does not protect the community from intermarriage because there are plenty of people from the community that reach out to us and other rabbis telling us that one of the biggest problems they are facing right now, that either they themselves or their children are looking to marry either a convert or a non-Jew that wants to convert, and they know that if they do it, the community will reject them. And many times these people have a very, very big dilemma that could literally lead people to leave Judaism altogether just because of this takana. So this is obviously a problem. Even Rav Ovadia Yosef, Allah Shalom, had a very big issue with this takana and told them that they should cancel it. They didn't listen to the Gdol Adol. There's nothing we can do about it. Uh, point being is, is that the uh, uh, community is, uh, you know, is, is, is doing something because they're following their leaders. I don't believe that everybody within the community believes this, but nonetheless, uh, they do follow it because it is part of their, uh, uh, their community's uh, uh, culture. It's a mistake. Not because I'm saying it, it's a mistake because the Torah says it, it's a mistake because Gdol Adol said it, uh, it's a mistake that uh, they're doing it, but again, this is not something that you can do anything about. What I would suggest for anybody that is uh, a convert or looking to convert is simply, you know that this is not where you want it, go somewhere else, simple. Don't dafka, you know, go to the Syrian community knowing that uh, the Syrian community is not going to accept you. It's like, you know, you intentionally want to marry a Kohen, even though you're, you know that you can't marry a Kohen, either because you're a divorcee, or you're a convert, or you're a mamzer, or you simply can't marry a Kohen. So don't just go where you don't, you're not welcome, for any reason. It's the same thing where you're not going to go to a dinner party if you know that half the people there hate you. It's not, it doesn't make any sense. Now again, I'm not saying that they all hate. The reality is that it is a problem. It's a problem everybody's aware of, they are defending it based on the fact that the enactments that were made, the takanao that was made, was made by greater rabbis than the rabbis that exist today, and therefore it cannot be uh, uh, changed. There is actually some truth to that, that it's a, uh, 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 you know, you have to uh, be a great rabbi to, 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 uh, to do that, but there were great rabbis that told them to do it, that were willing to back them, which is Rabbi Vadi Yosef, and didn't listen anyway, which means that, that excuse is not really a, uh, a legitimate excuse. It's just an excuse. Nonetheless, anyone that's within uh, that community should know that this is a mistake according to Gdolei Adol that are, uh, you know, that loved the, the Syrian community. Oh, loved the Syrian community, but he still believed that this was 100% against the Torah. It's a mistake. And many, many other rabbis have had an issue with this, uh, but there's not much that anybody can do. Now, as far as anyone that is a... Uh, um, uh, you know, dealing with some of the issues of this, you should know this is something to avoid. This is something to avoid. Why? There's no point. You're not going to change it. You're not going to change them. You're not going to change the community. You're not going to change their minds. This is what it is. If the biggest rabbi in the world, uh, you know, was not able to change him, you're not going to change him. So simple. You want to avoid it. Uh, if uh, and, and that's it. It's a uh, guys that are or girls that are in the community that are marrying a convert. Um, I personally would recommend for you guys to simply 
uh, move to a different community. Uh, why? Because if they haven't caught on to the fact that you are uh, that your spouse or you are a convert, uh, they haven't caught on to it yet, they will catch on to it eventually. And it could become a very, very big public disgrace and an embarrassment for you when somebody wants to marry your kids, but they check that really the kid is coming from a convert and then they'll break up the marriage. It's, it can become a big disaster. So my personal words of advice for you is if you're a convert, you're married to a convert, simply leave the community, go to a different Jewish community, Ashkenazim, Sfaradim, that's up to you. But the point being is, go to a different community. Don't be part of a community that you know there's going to be problems at some point. Don't be part of a community that you know that they are going to uh, create an issue. Same thing with schools. Sometimes there are schools. There is a school that is a uh, opening here in Florida. Uh, they uh, they are uh, claimed to be uh, you know backed by the Syrian community. They are part of the Syrian community and they're looking to open a Sephardic yeshiva. This is all wonderful, wonderful. You want to open a yeshiva in Florida? That's very good. Sephardic yeshiva, even more wonderful. But there is some bad news there. What's the bad news? On the application, on the application itself, they have literally in big red letters, we follow the uh, tradition of uh, uh, the Syrian tradition of converts, meaning we don't accept converts. We don't accept converts. This is in the school application. This is in a school application. Now, they don't have that many students, but I could bet you $1,000, not that I'm, it's really a bet, just hypothetically speaking, I could bet you that there's out of however many students they have, 50, 100, 200, 500 people that they have, students, there's at least a handful of converts in there. Either they haven't caught on to it, or they're simply so new that they need the money that they're looking to look the other way. But this will be a problem at some point. Why? Because if you're bold enough to put this statement on the application, that means that this matters to you. And the person's life... The person's uh, uh, a uh, uh, well-being, the person's honor, the convert I'm talking about doesn't matter to you. What matters to you is these big red letters. So it's a problem. So anyone that is going to push their head into the community that does not want you, you're simply looking for trouble. And whatever trouble you get, you deserve it. Why? You looked for it. You looked for it. That does not mean that that make make them right. It simply is a problem. It's a problem. Avoid it. Go to a community that is more accepting. And trust me when I tell you, most communities are very, very welcoming to Jewish people, whether they're converts or not converts, natural-born Jews. Most communities are very welcoming. And there's plenty of them. Uh, so, so there's simply no reason to stick your head where you know it's not welcome. People that do it simply are looking for trouble. It's a, uh, uh, my, my words of advice for anyone that is uh, dealing with this, Avoid it. It's simply not necessary. It's not, nece- it's not a necessary problem. You're creating problems for yourself. Okay, next question. We're already two hours and we haven't answered that many questions. Do you believe if you're not a Jew, you can make it to heaven? Uh, sure, there is a, uh, like I said before, there are laws in the Torah both for Jews and for Gentiles. If a Jew follows the laws of the Torah, they will go to heaven. If a uh, Jew does not follow the Torah, he will not go to heaven. She will not go to heaven. They would go to Gehenom, Kafakela, and all types of other places designated for punishment. 
if a Gentile follows the Torah, they will go to heaven. They have a share of the world to come. If they do not, they will not go to heaven. They will go to Gehenom, Kafakela, and all types of other places designated for punishment. Uh, do I have to get circumcised? If you're a Jew, absolutely you have to get circumcised. If you're a Gentile, you do not have to get circumcised unless you want to convert to Judaism. Any word on the red heifer sent to Israel? Uh, sure, there was a uh, some years ago, maybe uh, seven, eight years ago, uh, there was a uh, first red heifer that was born in uh, centuries uh, and uh, was discovered, was actually here in America. Uh, later on, shortly thereafter, there was a second one that was born. Uh, they were actually, uh, for, to my knowledge, one of them stayed in America. The second one was shipped to Israel. Uh, their whereabouts, I don't know, uh, but I think that they're being preserved somewhere, and there's actually a group of uh, people that are actually trying to breed red heifers, and the red heifer is unique in a sense that, number one, it has to be completely red, uh, completely red, without even two hairs that are, uh, uh, that are uh, black, uh, it has to be completely red, and two, they can never be worked. If you put even a sack of potatoes on their back, they're no longer qualified. Why do we need a red heifer? This red heifer is needed uh, for when we have the Bet HaMikdash, part of the uh, um, purification uh, that uh, Am Yisrael needs to do is to, uh, requires a red heifer. A red heifer that uh, needs to be slaughtered in a certain way and then uh, the uh, burned to ashes and then the ashes are combined with a few other things and then that is sprinkled on uh, each person that has impurity, impurity from a dead person, impurity from touching specific uh, uh, things such as a, uh, uh, certain reptiles or dead animals and so on. Uh, in so many words, everyone in the world today uh, has impurity on them, so everyone would have to become purified once the uh, Mashiach comes and the Bet HaMikdash is built. Everyone will need a uh, uh to be purified which would require the red heifer in so many words the red heifer is a prerequisite for the mashiach to be able to do what he needs to do so there hasn't been a red heifer in the world in nearly 2000 years and it's something that's uh, a recent uh, a recent thing some consider it as a obviously as a pretext to the arrival of the mashiach uh, but it's not a guarantee that the Mashiach can come because the red heifer can die and the uh, Mashiach still didn't come. Now, once the Mashiach comes, certainly we would have to have a red heifer, but uh, I can assure you that just because there's a red heifer in the world doesn't mean the Mashiach is going to come tomorrow. Can he come? Certainly. Is it a sign? Sure, but it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. Plenty of things can happen, uh, but they don't uh, f you know, force the hand of God to, uh, to make it happen. Uh, you know, it's, it's certain things that make it uh, uh, more plausible, and Hashem does this in a way to wake us up, to make us realize that uh, the uh, the end is closer than we think. So stay focused. There's no such thing as religious conversions in the Old Testament. You cannot just turn into a Jew. 
This is obviously coming from a person that, number one, is not Jewish, uh, and number two, someone that did not read the five books of Moses even one time. Uh, because had you read the, uh, the five books of Moses even a single time, you will find no less than 46 places where it talks about converts. So where do you think these converts come from? Mars? Pluto? From, some, uh, from the sun maybe? Maybe they come from underground? They come from the ocean? Where do you think these converts come from? Where, where do you think these converts come from? They come from what? They, they come from, from, a, uh, from a outer space? Like perhaps maybe you came? Where, where do they come from? The Torah mentions converts 46 different times. How Hashem protects the converts, loves the converts. In fact, there's even a verse in the Torah that says, anyone that hurts the converts, Hashem says, I will take out my sword and kill them. Literally, there's a verse in the Torah that says, Hashem, I will take out my sword and kill you. Take revenge against you for hurting my converts. So what? Hashem was lying. He was just joking around. Just so one day on TikTok, somebody could say, no, there's no converts. Like, think, 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 think. You're representing your people. You're representing your family. You're in public. Akadosh Baruch who's watching you. Make these statements come out of your mouth. Aren't you ashamed? Aren't you ashamed of yourself to say such blank statements? This is like saying, I know your entire personality and yet I don't even know your name. I've never met you, we've never spoken, but I know everything about you. This obviously is a blank statement that's meaningless, that's stupid, that's ignorant, and, and in so many words, would qualify me to be insane, to make such a statement. I know everything about you. I don't even know your name. So how can you say such statements about the Holy Torah without ever reading it? Without ever understanding a single verse in the Torah. You're representing your family. You're representing your people. You're representing literally so many people with this statement and you're making so many people look stupid. What is wrong with you? You should be ashamed of yourself. Shame on you for being so stupid, ignorant to the point of irresponsibility for an entire generation of people. An entire generation of people is suffering because of your existence. Fix yourself. Whether you're Jewish or Gentile does not mean that uh, you could just simply do whatever you want. There are simply rules to the world. And I'm not even just talking about the Torah rules. There are simply ethical rules, moral rules, rules of debate, rules of, 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 of intellect, rules of scholarship. There are all types of rules. You're simply ignoring everything. You've created the, the online rules. What is it? Make blank statements, say whatever you want, and make your entire family, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, everyone look stupid. Why? Because you just want to get some attention. Think, think for a second. Think for a second. You're a, you're a person. If you're clever enough to, to type and the words make sense, that means you have a brain. Stop embarrassing yourself. It's really, it's mamash. It's, it's, a, it's wrong with people. Educate yourself. Read some books. What's the problem of a Jew living by themselves in a non-Jewish neighborhood uh, besides the Minyan? Oh, there's plenty of problems. Number one, it's a, uh, being part of a Jewish community is critical for a person uh, because there are certain things that are necessary for the community uh, that you need to be part of a community to do. 
uh, not just prayers in Minyan. Sometimes there's community fast. Sometimes there is a reading from the Torah. Sometimes there is uh, certain events. Uh, but more than anything else, it's the issues of intermarriage. Uh, you know, a person that is a, uh, an assimilation, people that are uh, excluding themselves from the community are more likely to assimilate, more likely to intermarry, uh, and uh, in so many words, they're excluding themselves from the Jewish community. And in fact, the Rambam, Paskins Lalacha, that a person that excludes themselves from the Jewish community has no share of the world to come. It's, it's, if you intentionally exclude yourself from the community, you live somewhere else, and, and you can live in a Jewish community, but you choose otherwise, uh, it's a very serious problem. It's a very, very serious problem. So there's, uh, there's plenty of things that uh, a person needs to a Jewish community for. One of them, you need kosher food. You're not going to find kosher food uh, uh, you know, in a non-Jewish communities. Uh, you also uh, need to know that there's, it's not just about you. Sometimes it's not about what your needs are, but rather the community needs you. The community needs you to be part of it because they need another person for Minyan. They need another person to do chesed. They need another person to teach. They need another person to learn. So it's not just about your needs of the community. It's rather that the community's need of you also. Uh, so it's a... Uh, the, the other thing is also is kol Yisrael aravim All of Am Yisrael are obligated for, uh, for each other. They're responsible for each other. How could you be responsible for other Jews if you're completely separating yourself from them? So it's, it's important for a person to know that to exclude yourself in perpetuity, pretty much, without a care in the world from the Jewish community and live in some, uh, uh, you know, big piece of acreage in Montana by yourself with your cows, that's not, uh, that's not going to serve you well. Your kids will have a very big problem getting married. Uh, your, your marriage in general will be very, very uh, difficult because it, uh, over time, it becomes more and more difficult to be uh, observant when you are alone. Uh, there is support is necessary. Do you teach, uh, why are there so many Jews in Hollywood, and do you teach Zohar and Kabbalah? Uh, okay, all right, so do I teach Zohar and Kabbalah? Uh, I quote the Zohar uh, relatively often. I would say uh, in most lectures, there's at least one time that I quote the Zohar. Most, not all. Uh, some I quote it much more than others, but... Uh, that's because the Zohar is not just about Kabbalah, the Zohar is also has different teachings of Halacha and also Midrash. So there's plenty of teachings of the Zohar. If the Zohar over here, you see there's plenty of books. It's not just Kabbalah Ma'asit makes you fly in the air and see all types of uh, angels uh, to, to play with. There's a lot more to the Zohar than people think. That's number one. As far as Kabbalah, Kabbalah in general, real Kabbalah, is not taught by anybody publicly. It's not supposed to be taught by anybody publicly. Uh, but again, there's different levels of Kabbalah. Uh, the, the Kabbalah that most people are referring to, which is the, uh, 
uh, the, the supernatural spiritual stuff, that's not something that's to be taught to the public. There are lower levels of Kabbalah uh, that talk about specific names, help people with uh, specific prayers, uh, specific understandings, deeper meanings to things. That, uh, you know, if with the right crowd, you can teach it. But again, uh, you have to be very, very careful. You have to be very selective. And certainly you have to have a rabbi that is much greater than you and you could ever be that is going to direct you of what you do and how you do it. Anyone that uh, uh, does it with all of that in mind uh, certainly is going to go in the right path. Anyone that does it on their own as their lone ranger type of guy where they're just simply teaching whatever they feel is necessary and they're writing books about it, all type of stuff, usually you'll see those people uh, go astray where on one end they're saying the holy names of God and holy names of angels. Another end they have uh, you know, all types of immodest pictures on their websites and their Facebook posts which obviously the two contradict each other. So people like that, that delve into the, uh, uh, you know, the, the upper level of Torah, uh, but without uh, the right formula, usually you'll see them contradict each other and make themselves and a public disgrace. And this happens over time. I've seen it uh, plenty of times. There's some people that have uh, contacted me over the years asking me if I want to be involved in such things or they want to, I don't know, befriend me or whatever it was. Uh, but as soon as I knew who it was or I, I saw, I do some checks before I usually talk to people, I see that, uh, you know, these things are involved. They simply stay away. I don't even have a conversation. So Kabbalah in general, again, there's different levels. The highest level of Kabbalah is not taught in public. Uh, the low levels where are, not that it's low, but, and again, Stuff that can be taught to specific people, that's done to a certain extent. Uh, then there's even you know, more basic of deeper meanings and things like that. I've even done it to, to a certain extent with exceptions on a couple of occasions. Again, only because I got the instructions from my rabbi that this is what I need to teach at this specific time. I did it last year on Lag Baomer. Uh, we talked about some mystical things from the Kabbalah. I've done it a couple of times, literally less than a handful of times in 10 years that I'm teaching this. Uh, but it's a uh, it's it's very very different than what uh, most people uh, uh, hear. Most people uh, just learn of some names and kavanot, but they don't really know what to do with it. So this is also the reason why I said earlier about the netilat yadayim, the special netila, that if you know it, you can do it. If you don't know it, then uh, you know there's don't ask about it because it's just not one of those things you ask about. Uh, there are certain things that you can know. There are certain things that if you don't know them already then, uh, you know, it's not the time. But uh, as far as the second question, which I believe is more relevant to more people, uh, which is, why are there so many people in Hollywood? Uh, well, let's see. Uh, there are uh, so many Jewish people in Hollywood. Uh, well, let's see. Uh, I can tell you that it's not a secret that Jewish people are talented people, intellectuals, uh, and uh, generally speaking, uh, have, uh, you know, decent upbringings. E regardless of whether they're secular or, or, uh, or religious, uh, generally speaking, Jewish people hold up education uh, as the priority in every household. Now, of course, the religious household prioritize education uh, to be uh, uh, that's religious-based, that's Torah-based, Whereas the non-religious Jews, uh, you know, look at education uh, that's not necessarily uh, uh, Torah-based, quite the opposite. But needless to say, the, uh, um, 
The education is a priority for Jewish people. It always has been. Always has been. This in itself puts Jewish people in better positions than some other people in society uh, because the more educated you are, the more opportunities are available to you. Whereas if you are only familiar with uh, you know, a manual labor type of knowledge, knowledge that you learn on the farm, knowledge that you learn in a factory, it's very, very you know, important knowledge. It's knowledge that's necessary for society, but that's going to limit your ability as far as where you're going to be in the world. So if a person comes from a certain background where they were taught farming or they were taught uh, you know, to work with steel, or they were taught all types of other things, fine, that puts them in a certain, a certain box of opportunities. A person that was taught you know, by, let's say, uh, parents that were doctors, where medicine was a, uh, a, of utmost importance in their, in their household, that person will be in a certain box. Uh, that's, again, more inclined to be towards the, that particular pursuit, whether it be medical, scientific, even legal. But needless to say, that's where they are. Other people that have uh, uh, other uh, forms of education and upbringing will have that. So this is, again... A, uh, a known thing that Jewish people have a uh, prioritized education over all other people out there. Now, the way that you see this uh, 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 highlighted most is not necessarily in Hollywood, but rather in the general success and the uh, involvement of Jewish people in the world at large. Hollywood is makes a lot of noise, but more or less, it's a small little sector in a very, very big world. You know, there's, a, uh, there's much more than just simply Hollywood. You have medicine, you have legal, you have uh, taxation, you have a uh, import-export, you have so many different avenues uh, that, uh, uh, you know, that, uh, of, of worlds, of, of, uh, of industries, and you find Jews in all of them. You will find Jews in all departments of science. You will find Jews in all departments of legal. You will find Jews in all departments of medicine. You will find Jews in all departments of import-export. You'll find Jews in all types of entrepreneurship, all types of projects. You will certainly find Jews in all levels of technology. In so many words, you will find Jews everywhere. You'll find Jews in farming. You'll find Jews in everything. So the fact that you're asking about Hollywood, that's because we're, that's where you have spent most of your attention on. You haven't studied much about import-export. You haven't studied much about medicine, perhaps. You haven't studied much about the sciences. You haven't studied much about agriculture. You haven't studied much about probably anything else other than video games and maybe some movies on Netflix. So to you, your world is as big as Hollywood. And therefore, when you see people like Kanye West and, 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 and Mel Gibson and all types of other famous anti-Semitics, you know, go out there and say, oh, Hollywood is controlled by Jewish people. Why? Because there's 30 executives here and 15 executives there and 20 executives there. That means that it's controlled by Jewish people? First of all, do you know how big Hollywood is and how many thousands upon thousands of people work in Hollywood and how the overwhelming majority of them are not Jewish? They're African-American. They're of Asian descent. They're of Indian descent. They're of all types of walks and colors. And in fact, why don't you say the same thing about the medical world? Why isn't it that, you know, as soon as somebody gets sick, 
and you know they need to go to a doctor and they ask oh who's my doctor and they say oh yeah it's some Jewish doctor usually the average person says, smiles oh it's a Jewish guy okay how come how come like the average person is happy to hear they have a Jewish doctor in fact they're so happy about having a Jewish doctor they brag about it to their friends oh my god yeah no I have the best doctor why well, some Jewish guy this guy's a genius what does it matter that he's Jewish is he observant no is he go to synagogue probably not but he's Jewish why why are you proud of the fact that he's Jewish if he was in Hollywood he was no good but he's a Jewish doctor you like it oh I have the best lawyer he's such a good lawyer that by tomorrow you're gonna be working in Alaska that's what Al Pacino says in the movie 30 40 years ago why because he's a Jewish lawyer why is everybody proud to say I have a Jewish lawyer now if you have a non-Jewish lawyer he could be very one just just as good but if you have a Jewish lawyer you make sure to let everybody know my lawyer he's a Jewish lawyer how come now if your lawyer is a black lawyer if your lawyer is a Chinese lawyer if your lawyer is from Uzbekistan your lawyer is from India nobody says oh yeah I have some so excited because I have an Indian lawyer nobody says that oh I'm so excited because my lawyer is from Tennessee nobody says that oh my lawyer is the best lawyer in the world where is he from he's from America where is that I know United States nobody says that but if you say my lawyer is Jewish everybody all of a sudden is like oh whoa you have a Jewish lawyer oh okay maybe you want to negotiate maybe you want to settle how come how come everybody's proud but nobody says I don't want a Jewish lawyer because uh no no everybody wants a Jewish lawyer including the anti-semites including the anti-semites they want a Jewish lawyer everybody wants a Jewish lawyer everyone's a Jewish doctor and the best yet accounting if you have the more money you have the more you start looking for the Jewish accountant we've been doing accountant well before you were even a thought in your grandparents minds why that's the only jobs they gave us they won't allow us to do import export they won't allow us to do commerce as far as food or anything else they force us to be in accounting so we made lemonade with lemons but today accounting is a very big business very big industry you tell people listen our business is doing great last year we did through three four five ten million I'm very uh you know worried about taxes you have friends what are the friends are gonna say nah don't worry about it. I got you I got you why call my accountant he's some Jewish guy he's gonna help you out wait wait how come you didn't say he's uh, your accountant he is uh some uh, I don't know he's some Indian guy he's some Hindu he's some black guy he's some Asian guy he's some uh, guy named Steve he's some guy named Smalls but he's really big he's some guy named Tyrone how come everybody says the Jewish what does it matter how come we don't see some Christian guy why is everybody so proud of the Jewish accountant including the anti-semites the anti-semites have Jewish accountants how come because they know we have a brain in our head we're good at what we do we try our best and that's simply it and we're in all walks and all aspects of industry that we're allowed to be in we're in medicine we're in uh, uh, uh science we're in technology we're the technology you're using right now to watch me right now across the world who do you think invented it who do you think invented it do you think the people that were in a uh uh doing the um heroin in afghanistan made it who do you think did it who do you think did it the guys that are uh, drilling oil in, in Saudi Arabia did it who do you think did it who do you think did it who do you think the guys that uh, have the uh, 
KKK masks here in America? They did it? Or the Nazis in Germany here in America? Who do you think did it? Who do you think made this technology that you're using to watch me right now live on TikTok and on internet and on Facebook and all the... Who do you think made it? Jews, Intel, the semiconductor chip that powers all of your phones, that powers all of your computers, that powers your cars, that powers your, your washing machines, that powers literally every aspect of your life. Who do you think made it? Who do you think made it? What do you, who do you think made these things? Jewish people made it. Does that mean that only Jewish people succeed? No. There's plenty of successful African Americans. There's plenty of successful Africans that are not Americans. There are plenty of successful people from Asia. There's plenty of people successful from India. There's plenty of people successful from all walks of life. Now, if I were to say, you know what? Why is it that the uh, you know sports have so many black people? You know what they're gonna do? They're gonna literally slaughter me, put me on some cross, make me the new Joshke. Why? Ah, but everybody knows I love everybody. I love everybody. You're black, you're blue, you're green, you're burgundy. It doesn't make a difference. I have Hashem, some people that are in my life that are closer to me than, 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 any, than a kid. And they come from all walks and sizes and all shapes and colors. I care less. I don't see color. But if I made the comment, oh, how come the uh, sports, the NFL has so many black people? How come uh, the uh, NBA has so many black people? Oh, look at this uh, Jewish guy. He's so racist. It's not a racist statement. It's a reality. You know why there's so many black people in sports? Because they're more talented. Simple. They're more talented. That's it. That's the end. Not because they have better attitudes. It's not because they have a, a better upbringing. It's not because they're smarter. It's not because they're stupider. It's not because their eyes are like this and their nose is like this and their, my face is like this and their face is like this. It doesn't make a difference. They're simply more talented and they're more suitable for the field. That's it, simple. Guess what? There are plenty of black people in the medical world. There are plenty of black people in the fashion world. There are plenty of people in the science world. There's plenty of people in, 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 in Wall Street. There are plenty of people today that are in all fields. And all of the people that want to use their color and their background as some excuse for society to owe them something are simply too stupid for the times. Do you know how many new multimillionaires are made every single day just in the West, needless to say, in the East? And do you know that there are more wealthy black people today than any other time in history? There are black people that have made a fortune, literally hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate, in marketing, in technology, in all types of entrepreneurship, so are we going to start saying, oh, how come there's, there's, there's so many black people that are in uh, blah, blah, blah? Who, what do you mean? They put themselves there. They made success there. Baruch Hashem to them. Good for them. What's the problem? Why, do, why does their success have any correlation to the field? What difference does it make? He wants to put himself there. Put himself there. Oh, how come there's so many Mexicans in, uh, in, in the field of uh, agriculture? They want to be there. Let them be there. If, guess what? If the Mexican wants to be a comedian or he wants to be a pharmacist or he wants to be a lawyer or he wants to be a real estate mogul, there's Mexicans in everything. One of the richest men in the world is a Mexican guy that owns literally everything. He owns telecom. He owns real estate. He owns all types of businesses. And guess what? Nobody says, oh, how come he has so many Mexicans working for him? 
What do you mean? What does it have to do with it? What is the nationality? The, what does it have anything to do with it? Have we sunk to that level of stupidity where we assume that somehow your nationality is going to determine what field you choose? There are successful people of all shapes and colors in all fields. The less you see color, the more you'll see people. The more you see color, the more darkness your life will be. People that say, no, I'm only going to do business with him because he is of uh, my culture. He's of my color. He's of my background. Then guess what? You are making a dark world for yourself and your kids because you're simply excluding the vast majority of the world. And the Torah itself says, certainly Jewish people should help each other. But if there's a non-Jew that is doing better service, that's going to save your life, that could save you money and so on, certainly you can go to a non-Jew. There's no problem. There's no problem. Now, if you can do business, if they're an equivalent, they both do the same service, and the Jew is more expensive, up to 16%, you still go do it with the Jew. Up to 16% more, you still go with the Jew and you pay him extra 16% more to help your brother. You have an obligation to your brother first. But if the Jew decides, listen, because I'm Jewish, I'm going to charge everybody 50% more, and rip my own people in half? No. Guess what? Everybody should simply not do business with them. Why? Go do business with somebody who wants to care for the community, not care for themselves and lining their own pockets. And guess what? You're going to find the same type of behavior in the black community, in the Asian community, in the Japanese community, in the Chinese community, the Korean community, the Indian community, the Muslim community of all different, whether they're Sunnis or, or Shiites, you're going to find it in the, uh, the different types of communities all over the world. Every community has certain customs, certain things that they try to do, certain things that they're far away from. But you will see that over time, their people spread around into different fields and different interests. But nobody picks on them. Why? Because anti-Semitism is a spiritual is a spiritual decree. It's not even something that is explainable with anything rational. Anti-Semitism is something that HaKadosh Baruch Hu uses as his stick to remind his own people to do tshuva and separate themselves from assimilation and intermarriage. This does not mean hate the non-Jews or, or take advantage of them and steal from them, which are all forbidden. But rather, it simply means we have to always separate ourselves in order to make sure we don't marry non-Jews. We make sure that we don't assimilate to the point where we become, uh, 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 we, we, we are influenced by the cultures of others. We obviously keep honest to our Torah. But if you're going to uh, be able to put food on your table uh, in a legitimate way, in a way that's uh, in accordance to the Torah, there's no problem. Now, is a Hollywood the right way to do business? Is Hollywood the, the, uh, something that uh, 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 is, is a good way to do, to do things? Obviously, I don't need to explain it. Everybody knows it's not good. Even the people in Hollywood hate Hollywood. Everybody knows Hollywood is a disease. It's not a new disease. It's a disease that happened in every generation, just in different forms and sizes. At the times of the Romans, they had the Colosseum. At the times of the Greeks, they had the uh, different Colosseum. They had, you know, every generation had their own craziness. So Hollywood is not good. The fact that there are plenty of Jews in Hollywood is not a is not a uh, uh, a uh, uh, um, something that the Jewish people are proud of. 
There's nothing, nothing good about the fact that there's plenty of people in, 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 in Hollywood that happen to be Jewish. The fact that they're there, they love to be there. This is not our pride. It's like saying, oh, there's a lot of Zionists, Jews. That's not something that we're Jewish people are actually proud of. Zionists are anti-Jewish. Zionists hate Judaism more than the non-Jews. If you only knew what's happening in Israel right now with the Zionists versus the, the, the real Jews, the Jews that actually are observant to the Torah, literally, if the comments that are made by them today, today, in the last five days, by newscasters, if any of those comments were made by any newscaster that's not Jewish in the world today, literally they would make a bigger example of him than they made out of Kanye West. Kanye West made some nasty comments against Jewish people. They pretty much, you know, wrote, the whole world wrote him off. I doubt the guy is, you know, is, is, is gone forever, but the point is that he lost a lot of business because of all of his stupid comments. Guess what? What he said, what Kanye West said, is not even... A, a, a kindergarten next to what our own Jewish brothers that are mentally and spiritually deformed because they're into Zionism and lefty liberalism are saying about us. They're taking caricatures from the times of the Holocaust and putting them on the streets, putting them on the news, saying that the religious Jews are bloodsuckers and all types of terminology that the Nazis use. And it's not Nazis saying it. It's, it's, it's Jewish people are saying it. They're obviously against the Torah, but they're Jewish nonetheless. If, and they're saying this on television. They're saying this in the streets. They're, they're protesting with this. And guess what? Nothing we can do. Are we proud of these Jews? No. Can we help them? Some of them. Some of them we can help and we try to help them. But unfortunately, you can't help somebody that doesn't want to help themselves. So you can't just simply stereotype an entire people just because your world is so small. If you learn more about different fields and industries, you will see that there are people from all shapes and sizes in every field. But if you're looking for any one particular one, you will find it in every field. If you're a black person, you will find black people in every field. If you are a, uh, I don't know, white uh, uh, American, which is hard to believe that even exists because most people come from everywhere else, let's say, you'll find those types of people everywhere. Irish descent, German descent. If you are a uh, Italian, you'll find Italians everywhere. You'll find your own people everywhere. You'll find whatever you're looking for everywhere. Does that mean that there is a, it's better or it's worse? No, it's just simply people that chose that field. That's it. That, that doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's just simply people have to grow up, educate themselves. It's, it's a, stupidity is not excusable. Stupidity is a choice. Okay, let's get some questions from Facebook. Well, I still have some energy. Is that the same? Uh, let's see. Why does the Torah say in the voluntary war where the option of peace was rejected, all the men should be killed and the women and children should be taken? Uh, there, there were wars that Akadosh Baruch Hu himself 
commanded the Jewish people to do when they came to conquer the land of Israel because the Canaanites uh, made sins that were an abomination against God, uh, which are sins of LGBTQ, sins of idolatry, so they lost their rights to live. Uh, but since they uh, were a... Uh, um, you know, it's the, you know, the ones that were fighting in the war that defended themselves were the men, so only they would be killed at war, whereas the women and children were left alone. Uh, they were not, uh, or sometimes they were taken as slaves, depending. But uh, this is this is clear instructions from God. It's not uh, something that people chose. Uh, question: If Elisha ben Avuya Acher became a heretic, why is it still included in the Pirkei Avot? Very good question. If you watch my series of Pirkei Avot, when we get to that uh, particular shiur, we discuss that in, uh, in, in details. And one of the main reasons is the fact that at the time that he made that statement, he was not a heretic. And therefore was allowed to uh, learn that uh, those words of wisdom from him since this was uh, instituted in the Mishnah by Rabbi Udanasi. Uh, it's not a... Uh, uh, and then obviously other Chachamim uh, that followed suit still kept it in there because at the time that he made that statement, this was simply continuing the teachings that we got at Mount Sinai. It wasn't something that he invented. He simply used to teach that, uh, but he didn't invent that statement. Uh, I know for Shabbat we use two loaves of bread for Mutzi. Do we do the same thing for Yom Tov? Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, you don't... Uh, uh, um, uh, have to if you can't afford it, but uh, yes, ideally yes. Uh, is it wrong for a Jew to run a hotel business? Uh, no. Hotels are hotels. Hotels are necessary. There are plenty of Jews mentioned in the Gemara uh, that uh, you know would uh, stay at hotels, owned hotels uh, throughout all the generation. Hotel is an asset. It's a business as well. Uh, and certainly uh, can be done, if it's done ethically, uh, there's no problem of owning a hotel. Okay. Uh, let's see. In the end of days, when two thirds of the people in the world will be wiped out, where are their bodies going? Like, uh, would it mean that the remaining third will bury them? Yes, actually, the prophet says that there. One of the uh, things that will happen is going to be a uh, seven years. Uh, it will take seven years to bury all the bodies and so on. Yes. Kodav, uh, is it okay if a certain Jewish community charges a big initial payment and then a considerably large monthly fee in order for a convert to make part of it? Uh, I believe that they charge to Jews by birth too. Uh, if they charge everybody, then you can't say that they charge the convert. You're saying they charge everybody. If they charge everybody to be part of the synagogue, uh, then there's no problem with it. Anyone that wants to be part of that synagogue has to uh, pay the fee. Uh, some, most of the places that charge membership fees, usually they have paid members and non-paid members, meaning usually they don't tell you that if you don't pay, you can't attend the synagogue. They simply tell you that if you don't attend, you, you have to pay for the different activities that that membership includes. Uh, but uh, if you already pay then they, uh, that membership fee, then that membership fee covers the, uh, the activities. Generally speaking, if it's a good community, 
uh, good synagogue. Uh, it's certainly good to also pay those membership fees in full and not ask for discounts if you don't need them because that is, in essence, supporting the community. So there's no problem of supporting a good community. It's a mitzvah. Uh, while cleaning someone, while cleaning, someone found old religious books and texts written by messianics inside their house. Uh, what would the proper way of disposing them, considering they contain some Hebrew letters to the Rabbah? If a, the Rambam Paskins Lalacha, that if a uh, idol worshiper writes a Torah scroll, needless to say, anything else. If an if a, if a idol worshiper writes a Torah scroll, we burn it, and it's a mitzvah. If you can't burn it, then you destroy it in other ways. Uh, but uh, all things that are written by idolaters uh, should be disposed of. Uh, you can burn them. You could simply uh, throw them in the garbage after pouring some Clorox on them. Whatever way you want to destroy them, destroy them. And uh, make sure not to give them to anybody else so nobody falls for their traps. Uh... Okay, can you go about the Chol of Shavuot? We did that already. Because a woman's hair is considered nakedness, why don't unmarried women need to cover their hair? A very good question. In fact, according to the Rambam, uh, the, uh, and uh, this is actually followed uh, by Yemenites that still live in Yemen to this day, that uh, girls that are from the age of six years old have to cover their hair. This is not uh, what was paskin la by the Shulchan Aruch and not what we practice today. Uh, but he actually paskin like your question that uh, since a girl's hair is, uh, is, is in essence considered a uh, provocative, or it could be, uh, then uh, certainly they should cover it. But uh, they didn't paskin like halacha to this because they said that a, you know, a woman... Uh, that is uh, not married, you know, if she's following the Torah, she's righteous, you don't have to worry about those things with her because she's not with anybody. And when she eventually uh, is introduced to someone, to a shiduch, uh, to marry someone, uh, you know, then uh, she's obviously going to cover our hair once, uh, once she gets married. But before they get married, the person needs to be able to see this person and see that they're attracted to them. This does not mean that a woman could walk around however she wants uh, with their hair. Uh, modesty also includes the hair, meaning even the hair of a woman has to be modest, even if she's single, where she has to walk around with a ponytail and her hair collected of some kind. Uh, she can't walk around like, you know, like a horse's tail or in all types of perms and, 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 and you know, hair like she uh, just, uh, you know, I don't know, she's uh, running against the wind. No, a woman's hair has to be, uh, you know, in modest, you know, tied up, you know, some type of uh, bun or, or something like that. So it doesn't need to be covered, but it still needs to be modest. Uh, this is very important to know. Are we allowed to go to hot springs or the Dead Sea since there's so much sulfur in the water? It's not good for the neshama. Uh, I'm not sure who told you that it's not good for the neshama, but uh, that's not what uh, you'll hear from Jewish people. Uh, that are to learned in Torah. In fact, there's a lot of value uh, to going to the Dead Sea. Uh, it's very good for the skin. Uh, it's a place that uh, many Chachamim go to uh, 
to relax and to uh, for even for, for medicinal reasons. There's actually a section in the Dead Sea specifically uh, for religious people where the, uh, the beach is separated. The men are on one side and then there's a huge wall and the women are a completely separate side. Uh, there's a lot of wonderful things uh, that a person will see only in the Dead Sea and nowhere else. Uh, and, and certainly there's medicinal uh, benefits to it. As far as the sulfur not being good for the neshama, uh, no one is telling a person uh, to uh, just be uh, next to the sulfur all day, uh, smelling the sulfur from the floor. You know, generally speaking, the, uh, the Dead Sea over there, everything smells fine. It's just the specific places that, uh, you know, you'll have uh, a uh, negative smell come from it. But uh, uh, the majority of the place smells perfectly fine, uh, looks beautiful, and uh, certainly is uh, something that if a person has the ability to go to visit, should go to. Uh, it's a uh, nice place. We went there uh, uh, maybe eight years ago or so. It was wonderful. Uh, nine years ago. Uh, wonderful experience. And it's a, certainly a, a lot of uh, uh, one-of-a-kind types of things to, to, to be there. Let's see. Oh, hold on, some questions. Yeah, but converts to Judaism, I already said, everybody can convert to Judaism. My mom's maiden name is Sephardic. Would I still be considered a Jew despite her being Christian? No, Judaism is not determined by last name. Judaism is determined by the uh, belief in what the person follows. How does Judaism look at, feel about agnostics and atheists? Uh, Judaism is the Torah. And the Torah says that people that are agnostic and atheist go to Gainom and don't come out because they do not believe in the creator that created them. Uh, why, why would they, uh, anyone look at them any other different way? If the Torah is real and a God created the world and a God gave us rules then someone that doesn't believe that God, according to all opinions of all religions, that person certainly is doomed. There is no religion that believes that someone who does not believe in the Creator is going to be okay. There's no such thing. So that's simply logic. Needless to say, the, the only you know religion of truth, the, the Torah, is going to tell you someone that is not following the Torah is obviously going to be punished severely. Very simple. Can people convert to Judaism with zero Jewish ancestries or parents? Yes, absolutely. I've mentioned that before. Why can Jews go to mosques and not churches? Uh, that's because the, uh, although the uh, religion of Islam is based on a Quran that is full of lies and mistakes, it's still praying to the one and only God. Uh, they, uh, in, in Arabic, they call it Allah. In, uh, in, in Judaism, uh, we have the name Hashem, Hashem, which means the name. But we believe in the same God as, uh, as each other. Uh, on the other hand, the uh, Christians... Uh, anyone of Christian faith, anyone of the uh, parts of it, whether it's Catholicism, Christianity, Protestant, Lutheran, anyone that believes in the New Testament believes in the Trinity. 
and he uh, believes in the uh, 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 a man god, uh, you know that, that in essence God became a human being. These are all considered forms of idolatry, meaning whether it's, it's a Lutheran, it's a it's a Protestant, it's a Catholic, it doesn't make a difference. Anyone that believes in the New Testament believes either in a three-part God or a man-god or both and all of these are different forms of idolatry so it's forbidden for a Jew to go it's forbidden for anybody but uh, obviously here being a Jew and a subject at hand forbidden for a Jew to enter a place of idolatry and the church is considered a place of idolatry it's forbidden for a Jew to enter a place of idolatry a mosque on the other hand uh, is, is not considered a place of idolatry it's considered a, uh, the way they believe in the same God so there's no problem there the problem with the mosque is not necessarily the belief system. The problem with the mosque is, is that it's very possible that the Jew may end up getting murdered uh, by going into the mosque because of the hatred uh, between, uh, between the two people. Uh, but uh, that's not always the case. There's plenty of uh, decent uh, uh, Muslims that accept Jews and like them even uh, and help Jews. But unfortunately, there are many, many more that don't. So... Uh, anyone that uh, is uh, careful, uh, you know, has to know where they're going and why they're going. But either way, a Jew should go to synagogue and not to a mosque and not to a church and not to any, you know, anywhere else. But uh, yeah. Uh, why does some food like pickles uh, and salt need to be kosher? Uh, well, I mean, it, it depends if there's, uh, usually there is uh, other ingredients that some people uh, add to, uh, to specific foods, uh, you know, that is not the uh, generally accepted, uh, you know, or, or, you know, by society, but most people don't know it exists. The years ago, about 10 years ago, I think, or nine years ago, we publicized a list of ingredients they put in food. Uh, different ingredients. This obviously is not an all-encompassing list, but it's certainly a list of ingredients they put in food for coloring, for flavor. And anyone that read the list, whether they were Jewish or not Jewish, they got disgusted by it. And when they found out the types of food that they put it in, they were surprised. Why? Because it's an everyday food. In potato chips, in, uh, in soft drinks, in orange juice, in a... Uh, in all types of, uh, in ice creams. Uh, literally, people were very surprised of how the, sometimes the ingredients are so vile and disgusting that nobody would want to eat these foods uh, had they uh, known that these ingredients uh, in, uh, include, for example, bugs uh, such as beetles are often used for food coloring. Uh, this is the reason why the uh, orange juice Sunny Delight was not kosher for many years uh, until they removed uh, the beetles they used to make the orange, orange more orange. Uh, there is, uh, you know, so so bugs and uh, you know are used for that. There's also a um, different body parts of uh, of different animals that are used uh, for flavoring. Uh, one of them that I found more, most disturbing, you could find on the list, is the rectum of a uh, raccoon. Apparently, somebody somehow found out that the rectum of a raccoon makes a good uh, flavor for food. Obviously, this is not kosher, uh, but uh, and your average person doesn't know that they use this type of stuff in food, but they do. They do. 
and they use uh, the bones of different animals for gelatin. And, you know, there's plenty of different uh, things that are in food flavoring in food today that uh, most, the average consumer does not know. The average consumer does not know. Hence the reason why anything that a person eats has to have a kosher certificate because that tells you that even whether it's the ingredients that you're aware about, such as the, uh, the, uh, the, the um, cucumber and the vinegar, or the ingredients that you don't know about, such as certain preservatives and certain flavoring and certain things, the stuff you know about and the stuff you don't know about, all of it is kosher. So that person can sleep at night knowing that whatever they eat is, a, uh, is kosher. Uh, many times people don't realize that pizza, uh, when you get it from a non-kosher uh, pizzeria, you're not only uh, eating non-kosher pizza, you're also eating meat because the cheese itself is made with meat. Uh, and uh, more, more often than not, the sauce is also made with meat. So non-kosher meat, non-kosher pizza is not only not kosher because of the dairy aspect of it, it's not kosher because of also the, uh, the meat. You're eating milk and meat. Uh, same concept when a person eats a salad at a non-kosher restaurant. That salad has non-kosher ingredients in it. What could possibly be non-kosher in a salad? Simple, bugs. Bugs are not kosher. We say, no, they don't serve bugs. Sure they do. You go to a non-kosher restaurant and you see how they prepare the vegetables and you will see how the kosher restaurant prepares the vegetables and you'll see the difference. At five minutes, five minutes, you'll see how they wash the vegetables and clean the vegetables in a kosher restaurant. Five minutes, you'll see how they wash the vegetables and clean them at a non-kosher restaurant. Then, after you see the salads, you go test both of them. Take, go buy a salad here, go buy a salad there. You're, in so many words... The bigger the salad, the more of a guarantee that you will find that there is multiple bugs in the non-kosher salad. In the kosher salad, rarely you will find any bugs. Why? Because the cleaning process of vegetables that's obligated on kosher food is much more extensive than anything that they do for non-kosher. It's not a problem for a non-Jew to eat bugs. In fact, some of them do it electively. They choose to eat bugs. They think it's good for protein or whatever it is. No problem, but they're allowed to eat it. We're not allowed to eat it. So these types of things, they may not intend to have an extra few bugs, uh, beetles or, 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 or maggots or spiders or, or whatever, worms in the salad. They may not you know, be excited about the fact there's a few flies crushed into 15 different pieces in the salad at the non-kosher restaurant and they're hoping that the customers don't find it so they put a little extra sauce on there. But the truth is, anyone in the restaurant business knows that this is everyday business. It's in ev- practically in every salad, you're going to find it. Why? Because the process of cleaning the vegetables is, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's very minimal. Very minimal. They just, they just want it to be crispy, look good on, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in, on top. Inside, no problem. If you find a fly... They'll give you your money back. If he's still moving, probably get a free dinner. But they're not violating any laws. Kosher restaurant, on the other hand, it's a problem. So again, we have to make sure that the uh, everything is kosher. Not just the, uh, the stuff we know about, the stuff that we don't know about. Anyone that wants to see this list, it's on our website. You go to bezrathashem.org 
there's an ebook section. You scroll down, you'll see uh, foods uh, list or something like that. And there's a list that uh, my uh, wife, the Rabbanit, made maybe eight years ago, ten years ago, of uh, different ingredients, which are very, very interesting. Okay, Rabotai, thank you very much for learning with me. It's been almost three hours. I still have to have some energy uh, to do another lecture later tonight uh, in Hebrew. But uh, each one of you will have a successful and elevating Shavuot, elevating learning of Torah. Anyone that wants to support our organization, help us with all the different wonderful things that we do, whether it's helping the poor, helping the Torah scholars, helping Am Yisrael by distributing new books, all the things, which, by the way, they arrived today, both in America and in, England, in, uh, in uh, Israel. So we're going to be putting them on the website over the next couple of days for anyone that wants to distribute the books. Uh, they arrived today. Oh, also, we have the new uh, thing. This is also in the Cube store. Anyone that is ordering the new uh, car magnets, these are free. So don't worry, it's not a money-making endeavor here. This is all free. It's cost me money. But this is the new car magnets. Much, much cooler than the first one. Uh, the uh, it's smaller too, uh, but it's very cool. I'll, show, I'll send you guys a picture. I'll put it online somewhere uh, that uh, how it looks on the car because I put it on my car. But uh, this is the new car magnet for anyone that wants to turn their car into a mitzvah machine, where simply you are driving and people could see this and then they could scan the QR code and that's going to lead them to watch a movie that can change their life and make them more inclined to be moral and uh, more inclined to be holy, whether Jew or not. Uh, everybody needs to try better. And Bezot Hashem, each and every single one of us will try more, will do more, will help more, will show our belief in Hashem, not just when it comes to the simple things, but even the things that are more difficult that uh, affect our pockets. So Bezot Hashem, you all succeed, we all succeed, and we'll see each other next week.